Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 117, Father, featuring Blood, Blood Rider Kyle. I'm Scatty, and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey everybody, you know, there are men, and then there is Dent. He's oh, stop <laughs> smarter than your average hockey player, present company included. Uh, our guest, everyone, for this episode dazzles us, not just with his handsome face and not saggy chest, but with his exciting insights, which you can find all over the place on Twitter. You can find his insights on his podcast, Blood of the Podcast, uh, Ice and Fire Con Panels Galore. He's a man of enduring kindness, infinite levels of lovability. Uh, he's at KWDent2 in the realms of Twitteros, and he's our good friend Kyle. Hi, Kyle. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, man. KW Dent was taken. Just at KW Dent was taken. It's an inactive account now, so I but I can't. Sure. You know, I guess the I changed it once I got into ASWAF as like it's KW Dent the second. You know, set like second of his Whoa. name. So okay, that's right. It was not not. And then the first one died apparently. Yeah, so. yeah, which is also common in in the ASWAF world. So right. yeah. But no, I super happy to be here. Thank you. Those are, are very kind words. Well, um, but very excited to be here and talk about a, a fun chapter. Uh, I feel like Matt's all ours. I feel like Matt is the best in the in the fandom at at, uh, at giving these verbose and powerful. He's so messages nice about everyone's contributions. I, it's one of my favorite things about him. I actually steal it from nice things other people have said about other people and then i just changed the name you got like a, a bot that just like searches like nice that's exactly nice phrase algorithms and then that's you exactly what it is it's, it's nice. completely insincere all of it <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's dive into our announcements uh i can't wait any longer matt and i have not talked since he returned oh my goodness uh, exchanged I've been only friend. a couple no that's not what i meant uh no. we like to save these things for the podcast uh but we've not talked since he got back from brazil just exchanged a few texts mm-hmm. and i want to hear whatever details you want to share oh. obviously we need to keep it reasonably short because dent does have a bedtime at some time at some point <laughs> this but, east coaster mm. over here <laughs> what Eastern, how was Eastern it man correct. how was your return to the promised land oh my goodness um a lot of people have asked me that, as you can imagine, over the last week. I got back, uh, let, so just for context sake, today is Friday, listeners, and I got back last Sunday. So I've been back for almost a week now. Um, for those who don't know, I lived in Brazil for a couple of years from when I was 19 to 21. So back in 2004 to 2006, and I was doing missionary work down in Brazil. Uh, and then I went back for the first time with my wife just uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, I really can't describe it. It was an indescribable highlight of my life. It will go down as one of those experiences that will be completely uh, in my top memories, I think, of all time. So, um, but it was... He called it the promised land, Scad, because I've built it up as the promised land to myself over since, you know, the past 15 years <laughs> since I got back from there. Because when I was there the first time, I was so focused on the people and everything. And I kind of came back and began to idealize Brazil as like this mecca place for me. And so it was really cool to kind of challenge that, you know, with an older, more seasoned Matt 
returning mm. and seeing it through more lived eyes. <laughs> also through your wife's maybe too. A who different has, worldview. Yeah. Offers maybe a different perspective of, it's not that great, man. Very different perspective. <laughs> and uh, there was a bit of that, you know, the yeah. country itself was, is beautiful and green and blue. And we got to see all of those different sides of Brazil that were just so lovely. And then there were some parts that I was like, yeah, I'm glad I live in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Typical American. I don't know, whatever. But it's like, I think I'll, I think I'll continue living in West Jordan, Utah, where I live. That's just <laughs> fine for me. And Brazil will be a place that I visit. But one thing that did not change, everybody, was uh, the how I'd idealized the people of Brazil as God's finest people, of the best people on this planet. That 100% continues. They are the kindest, happiest, most joyful, exuberant, life-loving people you will ever, ever meet on this planet. Uh, no offense to you, too. But um, the Brazilian people are the chosen people of this world, and I, I love them so much. Everywhere you go, it was good morning, good afternoon, good evening, just like people just saying hi. Uh, anytime we needed something, we had a question, we wanted to ask somebody, they would go out of their way to help us. Um, just the kindest, best people in the world. So it was wonderful, but I love the way you talk about your life, Matt. It's wonderful. That's, <laughs> I think that's, I, I'm being serious. I think that's one of the things that I'm breaking the meta here. Sorry. Apologies. But like, I'm a listener and I get to talk about, about it now, right? <laughs> while I'm here, uh, <laughs> You guys like talking through the story and, and integrating your own lives and, and really talking about what's happening in your own lives. You know, it's it's something else people get get to go along with. And I, I think it's something that makes you guys different and uh, has created this culture that, you know, we all talk about all the time. Right. So um, oh, thank anyway. you. Yeah, thank thanks you. a lot, man. That means a lot. Yeah. Well, I loved it. And, and I mean, uh, besides just hanging out with people, we snorkeled uh, these beautiful coral reefs uh we went riding on dune buggies through these beautiful white dunes um with a bunch of crazy people it was awesome there was this huge strong guy he, his name was fred his parents named him after fred rogers <laughs> and he was just built like a truck you know this huge guy just this dark beautiful skin and two big earrings, like like diamond earrings, this big old beautiful chain necklace and stuff. And he just got completely wasted on our buggy ride. There was like eight of us <laughs> in this buggy ride. And I taught him one English phrase, which was, let's go. And so <laughs> it was just constant. It was just constant. Let's go. Let's go. As we'd go over these hills and... <laughs> And were were you were you using your your knowledge of the culture and the place out there like in society or were you like doing mostly touristy things with other tourists uh no both? it was mostly just my wife and i yeah oh really yeah okay. so these you were, buggy you were rides, the whole culture yeah it was these buggy rides happened to be um yeah there weren't any like yeah we didn't do in like one of those big touristy trips where you yeah. sign up with a tourist company. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, like, like, like whether you were company, getting the controlled experience or whether like, you were getting like no. the real one. 
No, we just went around and did things. And then we just happened to be on this buggy adventure thing with another family. That's and, cool. Yeah. So. But. And brave. I, I am the, I, I am the usually give me the watered down American version of your culture <laughs> because I'm, I'm a scared, <laughs> nervous traveler. And I am too. I hear that. I'm a, I'm a scared, nervous traveler Are you too? too, for sure. Yeah. 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 I like traveling, but it, you know, stresses me oh, out. For sure. So yeah. stressful. I, I think I would be that way if I didn't speak the language. So I think that's a big part of it. So yeah. me, oh, yeah, me speaking sure. Portuguese made me a lot bolder, I think. For oh, sure. yeah. That definitely but. makes you feel more, more comfortable. You're like, I can, you know, get along here if I need to. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you oh, for the details. Thanks for giving me a few minutes to talk about it. Yeah, yeah I, I loved hearing it. Um, moving on, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wax a little about my sister real quick. I brag about her quite a bit on this podcast. For those that hate it, fast forward about 20, 20 seconds. You should. She is writing Spider-Man now. The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, first issue released earlier this week. Uh, and they're doing this cool thing where it's like shared writing, where they're trying to release like many issues a month, uh, so the story moves quickly and they can they can tell it kind of in bulk. But uh, really cool, as always. Super proud of her. Go Kelly. Just uh, go check out Amazing Spider Man if you have any love for the web slinger. She does to me the best character development and the best dialogue at Marvel. So go check it out. I wouldn't. I am biased. With that. Yeah, we all are, and unabashedly so. I mean, it's just like major title after major title for her right now, it feels like. Like, knock on yeah. wood or whatever, but no jinxing. She just but. did Hawkeye too, right? She did Hawkeye before, yeah. and uh, She's done that Captain was pretty Marvel cool. the, now. She's the, done. The secret project telling... name for the TV show was... Uh, was the same name as the project that she used, like the name of her run in Hawkeye, um, which was which was really cool. Uh, Anchor points, uh, which was like the secret name for for shooting the TV show. Um, I don't know if that means it'll have anything to do with the story she told, or if they're weaving any elements in, or whatever. But hmm. um, it was pretty cool to see that Hawkeye. Uh, uh, Captain X-Men. Marvel. She did, mm-hmm. she did some X-Men for a while, Captain Marvel, Black Widow, right before the movie came out. Yeah, she's, uh, she's doing great stuff, so yeah, go check it out. It's beautiful. And uh, Patreon update. So uh, yeah. I'm Mercury taking a little bit of a break this month. We've been covering Grant Piercy's series uh, for the last few months, but uh, taking a quick break to get to squeeze in a Films Get Fingered live hangout. We did that with Mean Girls in the spring. We're going to do it again. With what, Matt? Wade's World! Wade's World! Party, Party time. time! Excellent! Excellent. Yeah. We, we pulled the Kalasar and they chose Wayne's World. And uh, I'm really excited. That was one of those movies that I saw <laughs> far too young and didn't understand half of the jokes. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And yep. I'm excited to go revisit some of them now that I'm older and wiser. Uh, Have you uh, seen Wayne's World, Dent? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I was... Talking to, to Scott about this on, on Tuesday, I think it's probably been like 12 years since I've seen Wayne's so, World. Yes. But it'll be a fun one yeah, to, to watch. We should yeah. definitely have a whole discussion topic of just stuff that didn't make sense to us as kids that makes sense to us now. For yeah. sure. For sure. I'll, de- I'll definitely be writing those things down. 
So if you're interested in joining us uh, to cover that, anyone anyone at the uh, at the Shuddy level on our Patreon will get access to that episode to listen to it. But if you want to participate in the conversation, come join us at the Dirty Cab Driver level on Patreon. Still time to get in. As long as you're in there by the date we're covering it, you can join us. So uh, come join it. us and come talk Wayne's World with us. It's going to be a blast. Yep. We have a lot of fun doing it. Oh, man, that movie. Uh, and anyways, we will be back then after that in another three weeks. No, yes, yes. We'll be back in another three weeks with another episode of Meet the Kalasar. We don't know our guest yet, and the guest doesn't know they're going to be a guest yet, but it's going to be great. Uh, and then in December, we'll be back with another Patreon episode of I Am Mercury. I read the next book on the plane, Scad, and uh, I'm excited. I've been holding back. I waited. Uh, for reasons, for reasons that will become clear probably later in the podcast. Ooh, yeah, it's not that big a deal, but it's exciting for me. You're pregnant. <laughs> I wish I'd be I'd be rich if that were true. <laughs> I, how much How much would a rich man or would a pregnant man get on like a GoFundMe? I'm terrified. It's the first time it's ever happened. Help me. How much would they get? That's a great question. That is not where my mind went at all. I was really confused with what you were saying, but it, it could definitely. It's six figures. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Less confusing things have happened that have generated more money. So <laughs> for sure. Is it, How sad is it that are you pregnant? And I immediately went to a GoFundMe where Go I can find a bunch of money. <laughs> so that's why when you said GoFundMe, I was like, wait a minute. This entire sentence has gone a different direction than I thought. <laughs> screw the the miracle of science that that would be like how can i capitalize on this mm, i love it uh, I, hey i like that's i appreciate that part i suppose i mean mm -hmm. i'm a yeah. sad i'm a sad jaded man now <laughs> oh, all right i thought that it was like a state income tax like that there was some sort of <laughs> Like, that's actually the first thing I thought. I thought he was referring to some sort of tax thing that he would get because, you know, children do affect Another taxes. Child. That So that's that's where my mind first went. And then he threw the GoFundMe at me, and I was like, wait, is, what is happening? Here's the, I think this the state tax credit would be the same whether I had it or my wife had it. So That's what I assumed, but I don't know. I, I don't know how things work out in Utah, you know? That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. it is double if the man has the baby. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of feels like that it should be in a, a precedent lot. never been invoked it is double if you didn't know Kalasar, who the heck put the this line here all right oh. so today friends we're covering it's jamie one of a feast for crows a chapter that spends a lot of its time rattling around up there in jamie's once blonde dome and we'll hit themes of family and fatherhood death and decay and many other things there is a lot that like happens action in this chapter but much is revealed and it's beautifully staged and just a lot of great imagery it also relates heavily to the previous and following chapters the things going on around it so we'll be sure to be talking about those events as well so there will probably be spoilers for basically anything lannistry related so get ready for that yep and as always if you're looking for a good time you know where to find us at davos fingers on twitter we're on facebook our email address is we are davos fingers at gmail.com and uh, as mentioned, come join us on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. Okay. That's right. All right, we're going to dive right into the first chapter summary uh, written by the illustrious Dent. 
Mm-hmm. So good job, good job on that. You want a real well summary? Let's too. dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. I will start at the top. Sir Jamie Lannister, all in white, stood beside his father's bier, five fingers curled about the hilt of a golden greatsword. At dusk, the interior of the great sept of Baylor turned dim and eerie. The last light of day slanted down through the high windows, washing the towering likenesses of the seven in a red gloom. Around their altars, scented candles flickered whilst deep shadows gathered in the transepts and crept silently across the marble floors. The echoes of the evensongs died away as the last mourners were departing. He was weary, having not slept since the night of his father's passing. Sir Balan Swan and Loras Tyrell attempt to relieve him, but Jamie declines. He was not your father, he tells them. You did not kill him. I did, he thinks to himself. Guilt and grief gnaw at Jamie as he contemplates his role in the death of his father. It was he who had gone to Varys and forced the Master of Whisperers to help him free Tyrion. You ask a dreadful thing, to loose the imp who slew our lovely king, or is it that you believe him innocent? Innocent or guilty, Jamie had said, like the fool he was. A Lannister pays his debts. The words had come so easy. He could see his brother now, the way the dwarf had grinned beneath the stub of his nose as the torchlight licked his face. You poor, stupid, blind, crippled fool, he'd snarled, in a voice thick with malice. Cersei is a lying whore, and I'm the monster they say I am. Yes, I killed your vile son. Neither Tyrion nor Varys had been found. Jaime had led a dozen guardsmen into the tunnels. They found only darkness, duts, dust, and rats, and dragons lurking down below. They had found a great mosaic of the three-headed dragon of House Targaryen. I know you, Kingslayer, the beast seemed to be saying. I have been here all this time, waiting for you to come to me. And it seemed to Jamie that he knew that voice. The iron tones that once belonged to Rhaegar, Prince of Dragonstone. Jamie remembers the day when Rhaegar left for the Trident. Jamie had asked to go with him, but Rhaegar denied him, saying that his father, King Ares, felt safer with Jamie near him. Rhaegar leaves, but not before saying that he intends to make changes upon his return. Of course, Rhaegar never would return, but there were changes. Ares thought no harm could come to him with Jamie near. Isn't that amusing? Jamie asked his father's corpse. Jamie feels strange as he realizes that he feels no grief, no tears, no rage. He had never lacked for rage. Father, it was you who told me that tears were a mark of weakness in a man. So you cannot expect that I should cry for you, so Jamie Lannister says to his father's corpse. And morning arrives with mourners, the most distraught of whom is Grandmaster Pycelle, who says that Lord Tywin wore no crown. Yet he was all a king should be. That's the end of this first section. Yeah. A lot jumps out in this first section. And I have a good starting go for it. Starting topic. There's a lot to, to cover in this in this section, but there's a good place to start at the top, I think. Right in, in your in the first line, Sir Jamie Lannister, all in white, stood beside his father's beer, five fingers curled about the hilt of a golden great sword. It's immediately putting this Jamie conflict. He he's in he's all in white. He's wearing his King's Guard armor. 
and he's holding a golden great sword, right? So it's mm-hmm. all it's at the very beginning of the chapter, putting the the vows of knighthood, been being a member of the King's Guard, being the Lord Commander of the King's Guard in 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 problem with his identity with House Lancer with the Golden Great Sword. Or at least that's the way the way I look at it. It invokes that imagery of it seems purposeful because that's so much of what Jamie deals with. So like that right off the bat stands out. And that's kind of what this chapter is in, in a big way is going to continue being about, right? Is mm-hmm. Jamie versus himself, Jamie versus his father, Jamie versus Cersei, Jamie versus House Lannister, Jamie versus Vows, Jamie versus himself. Like <laughs> Very true. And yeah. and even the part about the five fingers being wrapped around the yeah, great sword, yeah. right? Usually, how many fingers are wrapped around a great sword? There's ten. It's a great sword. It's a big ten. sword. You're wielding it with two hands, and so it kind of shows that uh, that situation that Jamie finds himself in—the imperfect Jamie, the one-handed Jamie, caught between, like you said, Dent, the Kingsguard, and House Lannister. It's a really fascinating opening. Well. Well called out, yeah. Yeah, first first sentence, first paragraph, first sentence. It's actually the only sentence in that first paragraph. And George lays out, you know, for for people that know how George writes, this is uh, this is foreshadowing. Strap in, because this is going to be a chapter of growth and learning about <laughs> this character, and not probably a chapter where you know we're riding around doing a lot of things. This is. It's going to be a lot of themes and a lot of exploration of who Jamie is. And we've seen this in Jamie just about since we crawled into his head. Pretty much as soon as we got his POV, we started mm-hmm. seeing this conflict of these two men. This man that feels guilt and, and doesn't like that he's labeled a Kingslayer and feels like he would like to regain this honor. Um, but how to do so while being a part of this family that that asks him to do these these other things unrelated to this duty that he has. And yeah. You, you nailed it, Dent. I mean, so much in this chapter is just a, the struggle between these two people that Jamie both is and still wants to be. Uh, we're kind of at the spot here where he's turning the corner a little bit to be the other the White Knight a little bit more. But we'll see a little bit at the end of the chapter that he's still he's still playing both roles, right? And mm-hmm. the white and the gold are those fingers are wrapped around this golden inner inner self you know the the cloak is wrapped around his golden inner self his white fingers you know, on his gloves are wrapped around that golden sword in the same way um kind of hiding conflict, hiding that part sure. of him inside that you know always wants to be there and come out as well mm-hmm. yeah there's conflict between jamie and he, this is you know we talk of jamie fondly and for a lot of really good reasons but this is not a guy even by the end of where where we get to that has answers yet you know like he is in conflict with what he is trying to learn and that's why he's interesting right um another writing note that just shows up right in this first line that's worth looking at in this chapter is this is like a very intimate and formally written chapter george uses titles a lot when people are even just referring to themselves and, and we'll just see this throughout the night that it'll just be Jamie thinking something or and it'll say, Sir Jamie Lannister, Lord Tywin was dead. There's a lot of formality, hmm. right? And, and that's not typical, right? He's not, no, it's not Sir Barristan every single line, although with Barristan, I guess it is, but that's because of Barristan's issues. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, so that really stands out to me that it, it's just another one of these things George is doing to, show you the conf the sir is a big part of jamie's conflict too knighthood right like 
is vows again, right? All tying kind of everything kind of just ties right back to, to all these little things with Jamie uh, and what he's trying to figure out. And it is complicated, you know? So that's why it's and the, the titles with his father it. too, I think indicate something about yeah. the relationship he has with him. Yeah. It's very, it's all very formal. Enough. Right. Right. And that means something also. That's a great point. That's the big conflict that I see, you know, coming up in this one is not just with himself, but his strained relationship with his father and that desire that he's always had to please him and do right by him. But also at the same time, I mean, the last interaction that these two had, I didn't realize this till I was studying for this chapter. It never quite hit me. But the last interaction these two had on page was their big fight. Right? As far as we know, that's the last interaction that Tywin Lannister and Jamie Lannister had when Tywin told Jamie, it's time to get married. It's time to, we've got precedent with Barristan. I'm going to get you released from your uh, vows as a Knight of the Kingsguard. And you're going back home. You're going to get married and you're going to do right by this family, right? And Jamie said, no, 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 no. Which was probably a very cathartic moment for him doing that to his dad. Um, I don't know how you're doing that without invoking Michael Scott, but okay. <laughs> no! <laughs> There's um, also a really good one in How I Met Your Mother. That's the one I was going for. Just kidding. I've never watched How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> I know. I need to. Uh, it's got problems. but They all do. They all do. And that chapter ended with Jamie then kind of like going, oh my goodness, what did I just say to my dad? And he goes, a father. And Tywin cuts him off and he says, you are not my son. You say you are the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard and only that. Very well, sir. Go do your duty. And as Man. far as we so know on page, that's the last interaction those two had. Like this, and that's the same thing that he tells Tyrion too. Yeah. Man, those are were Ty, those are Tywin's last words to his sons before he died. Is like there's maybe no better way in one sentence to like tell somebody who Tywin Lannister was. But the last <laughs> thing he ever said to both of his sons before he died was, You are no son of you mine. You are no son of mine. Yeah, that perfectly sums up Tywin Lannister that we know about, right? I mean, I think yeah, it, and yeah, maybe and that's all that maybe we dig in. And that's find all that matters. Else, I mean, that's but... what George is telling us, right? I mean, that, that's yeah, what he wants us thing. to read yeah. from it, right? But uh, yeah, I th I think also just you know, like people are always you know the Starks are so kind of like, especially John, like down in the dumps and kind of mopey and gloomy. The Lannisters are so just melodramatic about everything; they just can't like. Okay, fine. Walk out. Like they gotta like be final about how terrible it's, it's the other person is. Like, Kardashian. Yes, it's yeah. so so dramatic. It really is. All times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it'll come up later in this chapter with Cersei too. Well, it's just like just take the loss and leave. You don't need to like burn every single fucking bridge on the way out. You know. Um, but yeah, I, I I I like some of the things you said earlier, Matt, too, about about his relationship with Tywin and. Um, I, there's there's something that, that some language that they use in here where it says he had more feeling in the hand he'd lost than in the rest of the body that remained to him. Mm -hmm. And you know who was hand? Tywin was hand. <laughs> uh, I don't think this necessarily means he had esteem for his father, but Jamie lost his actual hand, a huge part of his identity as you know sword wielding hero guy. He also lost his father a hand to the king. And also, whether he likes it or not, a huge part of his identity, too. You said, like, he's always got this desire to 
to please his dad. And it's such a huge part of who he is, this need to just kind of help the family and do what his father wants. It's no surprise that Jamie feels lost and doesn't know what role he's going to serve in this in in this life now. He's got it, it literally says he has no feeling in his body. Yeah, half of his identity just left. This need to please his dad is gone. There's no dad to please anymore. It's right. high-level identity crisis stuff because, yeah, a huge part of who he was just died. Well, and, and remember that him being a part of the Kingsguard was maybe the biggest disappointment of Tywin's yeah. life besides Tyrion <laughs> himself, just Tyrion being born, was, was yeah. Jaime joining the Kingsguard. Yeah. Uh, the robbery of Tywin's heir, the guy who never shuts up about legacy, like, goodness, that was a hell of a chess move by Ares. Ares yeah. Honestly, it really was. Uh, Which yeah. Cersei wanted too, right? And she was angling yeah, for right. that. Yeah, right. That's why, it, yeah, she was angling for that. Right. And, like, Cersei is so, you Cersei. know, making a decision that you're like, why, that was so, st- <laughs> why did you even think that that would get you to your goal, you know? It, like, it solved the next step, yeah. be close to Jamie. And she was like, that's it. That That's the end of it. And you're like, but it creates like 25 more problems. Right, totally. And then she ends up getting taken back to Casterly Rock anyways. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Out. And it's like, we're going to talk about Cersei later. I love sure, Cersei, sure. but she, this is what she does. It's yes. totally what she does. Yeah. And, and, and so like, uh, but to your point, Scat, it's like, so he joins the King's Garden. It's like his dream. It's what he's wanted, but he still wants to impress his dad. So it's almost like he spent his whole life showing his dad, like, no, this was a good thing, or his whole adult life post King's Guard, that I got named to this King's Guard, dad. I want to show you that this was the right move, and you can still be proud of me as a member of the King's Guard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now even that's taken away from him. But the last thing his dad said to him was, go do your duty. And it made me think of like, remember when we were kids or adolescents and, and then Scott, Tywin died doing his duty. Boom. He did do his duty. Yeah. <laughs> and died doing it. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Go do your duty. Sorry. You were going to tell a poignant story and I interrupted with a poop joke. <laughs> That's Davos fingers, man. Uh, remember when we were kids or adolescents or scad, maybe your kids have done this. I know my kids have done this. And when, a parent tells a child to not do something and the child's feeling obstinate. So they take it to like the furthest degree that they can. Like, I can't even think of an example right now. Like, don't... It's, bec- it's because you bury them because it happens so often. You're just like, ah, just forget about this. I guess oh. so. Probably. <laughs> but you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, yes. don't touch your sister. And so like, I say that to my son, maybe. And so my son will do like everything he can to stay as far away from his sister as possible. And almost to the point of like messing up like car rides with the family. It's because he won't get in the car because he'll be sitting next to her and stuff. And then when you say, Jack, what are you doing, dude? What what is the matter with you? Well, you said not to touch (laughs) my sister. So I'm not touching her. And I don't think Jamie's being obstinate like this. But when Tywin says, go do your duty. And then... Jamie's like, I'm gonna stand all seven days of his oh. thing in this in the in the sept, you know, like because well, you told me to do my duty, Dad. You know, it's that's I a get, great point. I don't think I've he's being super that. obstinate, but there's a little bit of that going on. Like, well, you told me to do my duty, so I'm gonna be the best darn Kingsguard member that I can because you know what I mean. Yes. So. Yeah, and he he is very specific about. It. He's like, oh, the seven days. He thinks about it, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the chapter, and 
part of this is he's dealing with his, you know, he feels guilty. Yes. But absolutely, yeah, there's a lot there's, of guilt. Yeah, I think do, there is a, a part of that. Sorry, Scott, because it's just kind of ties in with the, like, yeah, do it. Uh, he, if he is really like trying to to maintain any part of like respect that he can think back on from his father, it's kind of like now we're going to talk really about this later, so I don't want to jump ahead too much. But if he can become a good Lord Commander of the King's Guard and have some things to write into the White Book, you know that he can maybe save some of that. That he did a good job for his fa- for his family, and Dad would have liked that even if he hated literally everything else about me. Yeah. And that kind of ties in with the go do your duty part. So there's there's definitely some of that in there. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I think I I picked up on the guilt thing more, but I I like yeah. that I like that added component. Let's just let's just ask the question: Should Jamie feel guilty about his father's death? It feels impossible not to feel guilty because he's culpable. Uh. So he was he was trying to do a good thing by freeing Tyrion and he was doing that out of guilt too, right? Yeah. He's mm-hmm. he was doing that out of guilt that he feels towards Tyrion as well regarding Tysha. So and it's really just a lesson in guilt not to go down that 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 rabbit hole too far, but that's really what eats away at at House Lannister is these the way these relationships fall apart because of the horrible things that they've done to uh, to, to each other, it makes it so that even when you try to fix it, there's too much pain. You know, like yeah. that's how that's ev- everything and, about House Lannister. And they're so, so obsessed true. with re- the Lannister pays his debts. They're so obsessed yep. with getting even in a good way, not like slicing throats or whatever, but like like paying back the the guilt that they owe. They're so obsessed with that and not being in debt and you know, showing their strength and power as a family and being on the right, right. side of the ledger, that that guilt... The words had it, come so so easy, right? Yeah, it, it, that, the words come so easy, exactly. That It just kills yeah. them. And I think, yeah, I think that's really the guilt that we're talking about here is what Matt uh, and I think how you two were both saying is this is guilt about not being the man his father wanted him to be, for accepting the spot in the King's Guard, even mm-hmm. for, for not doing what his father thought he should be doing for the family. And that's the guilt that's manifesting here that he feels like he needs to stand for seven days. And also, yeah, I guess he freed the guy that killed him, but I think it's way more the other guilt. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. It's like yeah. any times he try, I shouldn't say any time, but there's times in Jamie's life where he feels like he was trying to do a good thing. And then it ends up being awful for him or for somebody else. Like I just wanted to get my little brother out of a bad situation. And yeah. then he went and killed my dad. You know, yeah, yeah. Like I was just trying to save a city from an awful, awful person who was going to burn every one of them down to the ground, and now I'm called the Kingslayer for the rest of my life. It's like it was probably my greatest deed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, it's it's the one thing he doesn't really seem to feel guilty for. That's good. That's a good thing. Yeah. I think. Yeah. As weird as that sounds, I, I think that he definitely resents it. But yeah. Well, he resents he resents the result that resents happened. the result. But yeah, I, but I the think perception. Similar. He resents the the perception. For yeah, sure. the perception that he had that he has. But I don't think he feels like he actually earned that perception. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the few things he's done. He doesn't feel guilty about. Right. Is that something Jamie can hang on to as we as we look to Jamie at the very end of the story? I mean, the th- that's a definite. Um, what do they call it in the in the com- the comic book world? Uh, 
not zap point, but uh, I can't think of the phrase right now, but that is a point in Jamie's life that definitely like pins his story. You know, you're like, this is the most important thing that's ever happened to him. Yes. Uh, and the fact that he can look back on that, despite how bad the public perception has and will always uh, be of, of that event. And he can still look at that and, and not feel guilty about it. Maybe that indicates a, a, a moral compass part of Jamie that, that knows that that was right. And that's that's good because that means we can hang on to that as Jamie as a character and say somewhere at his core he does know what is right and that's good he's gonna have to make a lot of decisions like that coming up so mm -hmm. that's important you know I, I think Jamie's a great example of of <laughs> of humanity I mean I think he we, we as readers can see that zap point and be like that defines him he's gonna remember that next time he's got to make a choice oh God he pushed a kid out of window yeah. flashpoint like, flashpoint so. So, like, we as readers are like, yes, yes, he's got this hook that he's going to... Oh, God, nope, no, yeah, he's right. doing he's this bad thing. And then he does this other great again. thing. Yeah. It's just like us, though. I'm the same way. It's like, oh, I've been doing this good thing. I've been doing this good thing. Oh, shit, I did this. I, I, yep. knew, I knew I just shouldn't have done that. It was right? an awful and thing to do, yeah. It's humanity. I, the, you, you mentioned it, too, Kyle, with, with Varys. He was just trying to do a good thing by freeing his brother. Now he's got guilt about that, too, right? Jamie, you didn't tell Varys to give Tyrion the exact address to the the secret passage to, to Tywin's room. Varys did oh, that. Oh, it's right up there, 437 steps, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a hilarious passage. It's so funny. The Google map. To... Yeah. <laughs> Tyrion's like, tell Let me, me where to go. He's like, I should I'll send you a pin. Oh, I'm pricked. I mean, it's, it's a hilarious section where Tyrion's asking, wait, so how many rungs? 435 but don't do it don't do it it's 435 don't, exactly be careful don't there's go, a breeze don't you know it's crazy <laughs> Varys totally wants him to go and, and is, is yeah. for sure more to blame than Jamie. Tyrion could have never done that himself without the help uh question for you on Varys what did Varys think of busting Tyrion out because here we find out that it was Jamie that precipitated the whole thing that got it that got the ball rolling do you think Varys had it always in mind to bust Tyrion out um to get him over to Essos or was this kind of a I've, thing that he went oh you know this could actually work Jamie Lannister showing up in my room and having me do this this could actually be a good thing what do you guys think I have thoughts on this but I'm, cu I'm curious what, what you think first Scad well I think uh so <clears throat> you know all these people ask by the way, uh, Chloe had a hilarious tweet about about uh, Littlefinger's master plan. Uh, go check out uh, go check out her her Twitter account for that. Um, but uh, I, I think people that think that that they have these master plans with no with no wrinkles in them are it, it's it's not that nothing happens exactly the way you think. It's not that convenient. What Varys has is a bunch of things in motion. And he's really good at leveraging the relationships he has, so that when, when things fall on his plate, um, I've heard I've heard it said uh, luck is just where preparation meets opportunity, right? What happens is this thing lands on his lap. He's okay. How can I use this? And he uses it. And you know, I, I don't think he planned for Jamie to release Tyrion. I don't think he would have released Tyrion on his own. Uh, I don't think he would have saved him on his own. But when it landed in his lap like this, with this opportunity, and the opportunity presented itself to actually end Tywin. I don't think he was planning to disappear from King's Landing that night until this happened. When it happened, he's like, all right, 
fucking sow the chaos. I've put all these things in motion, and this is the event. It's this is the one. This is yeah. go. I've got a. I've you know got my go bag. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And so he just took advantage of the opportunity when it came. It's a heck of a way to That's, live. Yeah. I like that. That's li- living on the edge <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I I tend to agree with you. It's it is very funny to think of of like like Varys was getting ready to go free Tyrion and like Jamie busts in and threatens to kill him and he's like okay fine fine <laughs> fine and like he was like packing his bag and ready to go but like this does sort of suck for Varys it definitely does because he's like leaving a seat of power you know and if Tyrion gets freed there's no circumstance and this is just what Varys says here he says he'll be asked queer questions right yep. that's what he says in the chapter uh there's no circumstance in which Tyrion would go missing and they wouldn't be like kill Varys you know like Varys would be immediately the the prime suspect or they would know that he would know about it so there's no there's nothing in it for him to free Tyrion so I I do think it was what this does end up running into is it really ends up helping Varys's plan because we know it's all about really wanting to destabilize this Lannister regime the best way to do that is for Tywin to go down so that I, I agree with you. I think it just fell into his lap. And I think as he's leaving, he's probably like, I wasn't planning on leaving this early, but this is kind of the best the best thing that could have happened for their plan of destabilizing Westeros before Aegon comes in. So yeah, I, I think it fell into his lap and it worked out, but I do not think that he was planning on going because he had no benefit in doing it. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think if you look at it from the perspective of the whole reason he's in this seat of power is to make a play like this, Right. Then it's, a, yeah, then it's like, it totally point. makes sense to leave now. This is the whole reason I'm here. You know, that's I hope point. it works, right? He's not mm-hmm. going to be there to pull the strings anymore. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like he's saying, okay, it's almost like a stock bet. It's like, yeah. am I going to get a better opportunity to cause more chaos than this right <clears throat> now? Mm, I'm not. Let's tell him how many rungs the ladder has. What else could happen? Yeah. Right? Ooh, we could get the imp out of here. We could kill Tywin. I don't yeah, even have Cersei's to Cersei's going to be in charge. Yeah. We'll leave Cersei here. Yeah, this is perfect. This is, well, maybe not perfect, but is it going to get better than this? Probably not. You mentioned the, uh, the, I'm pricked, Matt. (laughs) It made me, he says, I I pull the sight of my own blood. I pull the sight of my own blood. It makes me, one of my favorite lines from any movie ever is, no one makes me bleed my own blood. From Dodgeball? Dodgeball. <laughs> it's not a great film, but no <laughs> makes me bleed my own blood is hilarious. As opposed and, to someone else's blood? <laughs> well, and that's the funny part. Well, yes, as opposed to somebody else's blood. And that's exactly why Varys is funny also. <clears throat> he doesn't abhor blood, just his own. Yep. Yeah. He's totally okay with blood. Yeah. It's a hilarious line. Yeah, he's had some traumatic experiences with uh, probably his own yeah, blood in the past. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, man, good start so far, discussion-wise. Mm-hmm. Here, what else you got? I have, I have actually lots of things left, so we probably won't get to <laughs> all of them. But, um, first off, Scad, your I know you, I know you, King Slayer, from the uh, mosaic, the Targaryen mosaic was amazing. I, I think I like audibly made a noise out loud. Um, I love that line. 
just this section, I guess. I, I love the mosaic that they find down there. And it says to him, I've been down here all this time waiting for you to come to me. Uh-huh. Super like beautiful imagery of George to throw that in and, t- and kind of tie. Cause it's another relationship thing with Jamie, right? It's like everywhere that he goes, he's smacking his forehead into shit that makes him think about his meaning in life, you know? And, oh, it's Rhaegar. Oh my God. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> the I, I like the iron tones of Rhaegar Targaryen that makes me think that Rhaegar had like a really sexy sultry voice uh, which I don't think is what people canonically would think but I guess he was a, a harpist a singer he, he was probably a singer a, yeah yeah yeah. that's why yeah. I didn't want to do that voice but I also wanted to sound like a dragon <laughs> so I, I went with that. oh no that was, was yeah I liked voice. that that was, was a great voice um my question about this darn mosaic is who's down there putting together this beautiful mosaic at the bottom of a dungeon? Like put it where someone's going to see it. You know, is there something, is is there something to this mosaic? It's down there. You think like some, some like artist is down there, like spending hours and hours and hours drawing this beautiful Targaryen mosaic in a place that no one's going to see. Yeah. It's, I I was going to say, I didn't really think about that, but when you started asking, I was going to say that, well, maybe it's like a map, almost. Like, they put these little mosaics for the people crawling around down there so that they know, this is where you go for this guy. Mm -hmm. But that would make sense if this were not heading to the hand. This, you know, they would have a big mosaic of a hand or something, right? The big dragon mosaic you'd think would be somewhere else meaningful to the throne room or where their apartments are or something. Right. My thought, too, was that it could be a marker of some kind. But then my second thought was that is a really dramatic way to, like, mark something. Yeah, You're just like, like, how should we mark the ways in these passages? Build a mosaic of the dragon. <laughs> yeah. like, you just it's put like, a notch on the wall or something. No one's yeah. down there. Yeah, just, like, paint an arrow, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, But that's not that's not literarily interesting. I guess so. Yeah, you wonder, like, so this was Megor doing this, right? So you wonder if, if maybe, wasn't it? He's the one that had all the guys killed when it was finished and stuff. Yep. Yes, he was. So like maybe he was interested in hanging out down here and like not that he threw parties or anything, but like this was a place where he frequently hung out and had his machinations. And I don't know. He wasn't much of a machin. You know what? It was probably his mom. Visenya. Visenya? Yeah. She was the brains, right? Brood. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. I like the mosaic. I'm happy the mosaic is there because I oh, like it sure. in this chapter. So yeah. I guess good design call by if Megra was the final uh, decision on that. You, you'd expect that they'd just put the dressing on it once it was close to finished. So it was probably Megor. Um Maybe Megor had a softer side that we didn't, an interior decorating softer side. Softer side of Sears. Maybe. About. This artisan <laughs> comes home to his wife. She's like, I just got this commission at the new keep at the castle up on the hill. He's like, Oh yeah. What are you doing? I'm doing this mosaic of the, of house Targaryen. Oh yeah. Is it going to be like in the throne room or something? No, it's in the basement. (laughs) The basement, the basement, the basement. basement. Uh, I have, let's see. I I do have, uh, so is this, yeah, I'll do this, this here. Actually, going back to just the second paragraph, mm. so what I really like about this this chapter, I'll kind of answer this question why I chose this chapter here, I, I suppose, is that, the, you know, if you game through storm is this ripping, raging story, right? And it's all really connected. It's about the War of the Five Kings. And 
the red wedding and then the purple wedding are kind of those moments that those flashpoint moments in now in in fantasy literary history that really changed the game of what was happening in this story that brings you to feast and feast is a super super effing weird book as far as (laughs) fantasy novels go Mm -hmm. because it's not like even the plot the 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 villain is isn't is sandor is the hound and it's not even actually sandor it's just stories of what's happening it's stories of violence it's stories of Mm. what's left after the war it's not like the plot is really uh not not thin but but wide right like it's just about kind of looking around and seeing look look where look what's look what happens this is what fantasy rot yeah it's it's Mm. rotting fantasy what happens after the good guys lose and then what even happens after the bad guys lose because by the end of of storm you have the Starks wipe, ostensibly wiped off the board, and then the bad guys lose too, and, and Joffrey and Tywin are more, murdered. So, so then you're in Feast, and you're like, everyone lost, and now things are getting worse, and we have to figure out how to fix this, and nobody has any control or or I, good ideas on how to do that. And yeah, this is a good chapter to actually answer that, to get to answering the question, where you can kind of really take a step back because it's such an intimate chapter and you're in Jamie's head and nothing is happening and everything is about themes. It kind of lets you really like kind of pause on where you're at in the story and think about these things and think about this is where the bad guys are, are too. Like yeah, the pointlessness of the conflict and what it's doing to these people then makes you think of like Ned Stark and that generation and, and where they, you know, how they rotted over time too. So kind of rambling on, on this answer this here now great. but i like this point it's a it's a good pause stop because like very very little next to nothing ha- jamie stands in the sept for four days that's the chapter like yeah <laughs> it it I, I think i've brought this up this phrase up on the podcast before but the phrase to the victor go the spoils and, and that phrase is really misinterpreted a lot in culture in life uh mm-hmm. to be like yeah the victors get the stuff at the end well no the stuff is spoiled the stuff is wrecked the victor gets what's left from the carnage that was created by the war, right? And here you have literal, the the the, the architect of the quote-unquote victory is literally spoiling in front of you in this chapter. Mm-hmm. He's literally mm-hmm. rotting in front of rotting you while away. we watch. And they're point. supposedly the ones that are winning. The two, his two free heirs are in complete catastrophe, right? One of them just killed him. The other two are fighting and squabbling in their incestuous relationship and trying to kind of claw for power amongst each other and leave each other alone and, you know, all sorts of things. This is a wreck, even for the winners. And so I just mm-hmm. echoing what you say, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said, both of you. It, the victors in this are the crows, hence the name of the book, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The crows yeah. feast on victors and vanquished alike, as it says, mm-hmm. I think, in this chapter. Um, how much can a crown be worth when a crow can dine upon a king, right? All this fighting, all this squabbling, all this war, exciting war that we've had for the past three books, like you said, Dent, all you're doing is you're just doing the crows a favor. You're just doing the crows a favor. You're just allowing them to feast, and that's all this ends up being, right? Um, High above, a crow screamed loudly, this chapter said. He was perched on the statue of King Baylor, taking a dump on his holy head, right? Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's do the crow stuff here because it's kind of sprinkled throughout this chapter. But I, uh, the you know Jamie thinks of of Tywin too. Uh, what does it say that that uh, he fed them well yes. from Casterly to Blackwater Bay? And, and yeah, what you like with with Rhaegar, that's like one of those lines that really sticks out as maybe a, a big line as far as if not what this book means, especially feast. Uh, maybe even the story in general. The how much can a crown be worth if a crow can dine upon a king? It's kind of like what the series is about a little bit about how absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of then starts to make you think of Lord of the Rings and and you know what that the ring symbolizes because that's really what that ends up being that's a, a whole bigger other discussion but yeah the pointlessness of of conflict and then what you really start to get into in in more so in dance is what dance is about is how hard it is to piece these things together mm -hmm. and that's kind of where you have to stop and ask when you're getting into conflict remember how hard serious conflict and i mean like war you know, mm -hmm. like destroying things. Once you do that, fixing it is not something that can just happen. It might not happen. Th this is why I have more respect for Doran than than a lot of people do. Yeah, he is he is the best, I think, at understanding the true penalty for even engaging right. in this. True penalty. That's a good... I don't care yeah. what it looks like and if everyone thinks I'm a coward. Do you know how many lives I saved by not engaging on this? Do you know how many people got to have children instead of funerals? Like, to him, it's... Mm -hmm. I think he... And I know, like, he doesn't act and people are... I think there's definitely a line where you got to do something, right? But I think he, I think that line for him is much further down the beach than it is for a lot of people. Yeah. And if you think about even easier situations like Danny and John and dance, which when I talk about dance, I always say it's like, look at how hard it is for them to make systemic changes yeah. to ancient systems. Danny dealing with slavery and the, the culture of Marine, right? And John dealing with the wildling struggle yeah. at the wall. Mm -hmm. And Emerging they're both cultures. just trying to do good things. I'm trying to... And, and slavery, and I'm trying to make sure a whole bunch of thousands and thousands of people don't die. And you'd think that those would be goals that aren't difficult. And at this time, those people aren't even in, I guess the wall isn't in war, but things are relatively calmer compared to war, I suppose. And it's so impossibly difficult. The entire book is about how both of them fail at it. You know, Danny is gone and has failed so far in Marine, and John is dead. Like, yeah. It's very difficult to change things when there's so much hate involved and what breeds hate more than war, right? So and that's going to be what we continue dealing with through wins and the difficulty of how hard it is to piece these things back together. I think George is really good at, like you get it. Some of the minutiae John deals with, you're like, it makes sense that this is, is hard. These people don't want to do this, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been a big, a big, guy on you know george is taking danny and john through these trials to teach them things mm -hmm. about how sure. to do this better or differently and i've kind of come a little bit to a different place with it especially for danny but like sh i think she's and other people have said this this is not original but i think she's coming to a place where she's just gonna make it happen with force 
Yep. And and it'll be interesting to see what John's path is. Um but, but because he he was kind of taking a path of of I'm just going to do it anyway already. Danny was trying to work within the system. John was like, "Nah, I'm just doing mm-hmm. it. You're going to follow what I say and we're just doing it." And I'm in charge. It'll be interesting to see what his death does to him. But you're right. It's all yeah. about trying to put the pieces together from all this change that the people don't want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're really good at, uh, Dan, one thing I love that, uh, I'm seeing from you as we've prepared for this chapter is your ability to take a step back and see these books from a kind of that 3000 foot view and identify those themes. That's really cool. Uh, I think I tend to just consume these books as one just big clump of pages. <laughs> yeah, I, do too. I, so I often have trouble differentiating between like which chapter I'm reading and which book it's in and stuff like that. Um, oh, I, yeah, it's, it's very, I don't remember so, most of it. When I talk to Jeff, I'm like, anytime I say anything, I'm like, Jeff, where the fuck was that? I don't uh-huh. even you know. And he's like, it was Catlin's seven of the storm of swords, but it is hard to do. Yeah. But, but you're yeah, very good at that. Those, you've done a great job identifying kind of those themes of the book. And so that's cool, man. That's cool. I don't ever remember yeah, chapter good. numbers. People are like, oh, oh yeah, Catlin 7. Not. I'm like, sight. Yeah. You, could, yeah. you could say Catlin 80, and I would think the same. Like, whatever. Is there even a Catlin 7? There probably isn't. <laughs> in, uh, There's got to uh, be. Second book. Yeah, she has 12 in, in game. Oh. And I think she's got 12 in Clash. Storm? I don't know. Hmm. She's, yeah, she's got to have like 7 in Clash, 6 yeah. or 7. Anyway. Uh, I've got one more that I think is I've got my normal Kingsguard gripes but we can leave those behind uh, uh, I do have one about Jamie questioning where where is his rage and I think I think it's funny that he I think it's funny that he feels that he should have rage I mean it, it, it's hmm. it's possible that you know take a step back Jamie it's possible that maybe having been treated like shit by him your whole life it actually had a deep down effect on how you feel about him and that maybe you don't have rage because you're not angry at all because guess what? He was terrible to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why yeah. you don't have rage. Yeah. I had never thought of that. That's a, that's a good point. Maybe you shouldn't. Why should you feel rage? Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. I like that section at, at, at the end too, just to kind of build off of Jamie's emotion, emotions part. Uh, father, it was you who told me that tears were a mark of weakness in a man, so you cannot expect that I should cry for you. So this thing with Tywin is just bullshit. I I hate this thing. We have it in our own world, obviously, Mm -hmm. this thing about men crying, right? It's such a... It's such a toxic thing, first off, that you shouldn't, like, feel your emotions and respond the way that that you... Fucking cry. Like, cry, dude. It's fine. I... (laughs) One of my favorite sayings, the, the late great Jimmy Valvano, who, when he was accepting the Arthur Ashe Courage Award in 1993 as he was going through cancer, one of the greatest speeches in, in sports history. And go, go listen to the full speech because I can't possibly redo Jimmy Valvano giving this speech. Sure. But yeah. he, he says the, the three things you should do every day is you should spend time in thought, laugh, and you should have your emotions move you to tears. And I love that part. Have your emotions move you to tears, right? And then he says, could be happiness or joy, right? Mm. Fe- just fe- feel the way that you, you feel, you know, and, and let people in your life know how you feel. And, and he, he says, if you do that every day, you're going to have a heck of a life. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something really special. And and that, that Jimmy Valvano speech 
again is like the problem with how, not only house lannister it's kind of the problem lots of families have with how open they are with one another right and how 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 they let each other feel and when you don't you kind of see the walls that go up now house lannister is an extreme example obviously because they add on doing horrific things to one another <laughs> uh but you can see how clouded jamie is now dealing with that because he has not let himself have his emotions move him to tears right he, he doesn't know how to he's like i don't even know how to feel i have no experience feeling these things and right? and we're about to see a little teaser for later in the chapter jamie's advice to a young lannister yep on a very mm-hmm. similar notion a little teaser drop away inside yeah yeah exactly, oh, exactly. The tease. <clears throat> whoops <laughs> it's all right if someone hasn't read it <laughs> Who's listening to this? I just about the tease for our coverage. Oh. Um, Good point, though, Dent. You know, yes. he says he, Jamie is a man of fairly uh, a base emotions in a lot of mm. ways. It's like he says in this chapter, he just wants to kill someone, right? There's another chapter where he talks about just wanting to hit somebody. Um, he gets back, you know, after uh, being away in the Riverlands. He just wants to have sex with Cersei right there in the sept, right? Um, he's a man that just acts, yeah, and that's kind of how he lets out. It's his outlet, and unfortunately, that outlet often comes through violence, bullying, other negative actions, right? The way he treats Brienne is almost like, I, I can't handle how I feel about you, Brienne, and these tender feelings I'm starting to have for you. Some would call it romance. Others, like me, just think it's just person to person. Um, so I'm going to call you a wench because I don't know how else to express myself right now. You know, like the violence and the sex with Cersei stuff too. It's again that identity stuff. Yeah. He's questioning his identity and the changes and things, and so he just goes back to what he knows: safety, mm-hmm. right. safety. Like, this I is like. how I handle this. Yeah, this is these. This will, these are the things I do to feel like mm-hmm. myself. Right. I'm a knight, so I kill people. Right. Which is Simple. weird. This is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, shall we move on to? Uh, shall we move on to get to know Dent a little better. Oh, I love that. It's the best part of the episode. These are my favorite parts. Yep. So don't screw it up, Dent. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so um, we always ask this yeah. question just to start start it off. Who are you? What do you do? And what drives you? Yeah, that was like the only question I was like, I don't know how to answer this question. Start at the top. <laughs> we like to make it hard uh, right at the beginning. Can I can I start with like things I'm I'm proud with, pr- proud about? Because that'll that'll t- that'll tie sure, it into do it. Uh, the but really the first thing I'm proud of proud of is definitely the marriage to my wife is is my first one. Our our relationship is always it's the first thing in my life, you know, mm-hmm. which is. You know where you where you hope to get to. We've been together since we were sixteen. We actually dated when we were, when I when we were fourteen, and she she dumped me after a month. Uh, hey I I told her that that I loved her after a month when we were fourteen, and she darted. Uh. <laughs> uh, which she which she knows it was it was fine. But yeah, we got back together when we were sixteen, and we've been together ever since. We we went to to college together. We moved back. Closer to our family here in... I live in Dayton, Ohio now, which I'm always defending Ohio on, on Twitter. Um, <laughs> grew up in the Cincinnati area. I'm a big Ohio... I've always lived in Ohio. I went to school in Ohio. Um, 
studied economics at, at Bowling Green, uh, which was really fun. I really enjoyed economics. I, I still, I still enjoy it. I'm not an economist. Uh, college is such a, a funny thing, right? You go for something and that would be the thing that I, I talk to when I talk to younger people now, if they're, they're asking about college, you know, it is hard because you want to go and learn new things and you have to really try and take the education seriously to, to learn those new things, which I, I probably didn't do enough when I was that young. Right. I didn't. For sure. Yeah. I'm there with you. I think a lot of people are, but mm. anyway, the point I'm, I was trying to, to get to here, uh, I, I ended up working a couple, a couple different jobs. I worked for an uh, industrial metal supplier out of college, which was fun. I was a financial advisor for a year. <laughs> Financial sales, which is very difficult. That's sucked. But I, what I will say, uh, it was the first job I had out of college was in financial sales. And I, I sucked at it. I failed, failed out in a year. It was terrible. I, I learned more in that year about like myself than anything because it was so hard. Like It was yeah. so hard and so stressful. And it just teaches you so much. And so it was still like, I was like, that was great. I learned so much from that. I was not good at it. And it wasn't what I wanted to do. I have a lot of respect for people who are actually really, really good at that. Um, now I work in digital marketing. So I, I help clients all, all around the United States, typically small to medium-sized businesses, grow their online, online presence, tons of different industries. So every business is really quite different. Um, their needs and how they reach people but it's really about growing their business if if everything goes well right and so um that's what i do now and i'm kind of rambling to answer this question but that's how i, I got to to where I, I am now i i work from home which is great i work from right here mm -hmm. uh so this is where a lot of my life has been past two years or so do you guys have you been remote through through covid yep absolutely the same room here too is I'm nice. I'm sanctuary. like sanctuary. I was like partial remote. We're back at the office, but there's kind of like a wink, wink. You know, you can work from home sometimes, kind of thing. When you need to, just let us know. But yeah, yeah. we're pretty much expected to be back at the office now. Um, I am. I think the. I mean, I think there's two of us now that wear masks still in the office. Everybody else is. They're they're gung ho. <laughs> Utah's yeah. a place, man. I'll tell you. Yeah, Ohio's a place too. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're um, I don't think we're an island for sure. Yeah, I like I like working from from home. Me too. It definitely like you have to get your stuff done. Like you have to be disciplined with it. But I find for myself that there are less distractions. There's just not people around to talk to, and I'm very talkative. So what? <laughs> that part, uh, what? Right? No way. Uh, so that part is good. I can focus on and get a lot more done quickly and i video call with all of my clients now so i couldn't even do that in the office yeah. so that's hopefully we remain work from home forever is what i would hope but they're not asking me for that decision uh but uh yeah so that's that's kind of an overview of, of where i'm at i'm 27 i don't know if that's probably not that, that important but um i guess the other thing that would go along with that the one of the only other interesting things that has happened to me uh, we were one of the COVID weddings where we had to get moved from 2020. Mm -hmm. So that was quite stressful to go through at the time, just because 
everybody was dealing with the stress of what the, like when we got sent home from work for two weeks i was like that is the wildest thing i've ever heard and yeah it's like <laughs> nothing now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're poor summer children we were i remember walking out of my office and being like two weeks where i'm gonna work from home i never ever ever in a bajillion years thought this is gonna be the best two weeks ever is what i thought uh and now it's been two years um and those two weeks were not the best two those were two really bad horribly stressful weeks um <laughs> But, you know, then when we're, we're going up to have to decide what we're going to do with our wedding, I remember at the beginning thinking this was in March. Oh, there's no way this thing's not going to we're not going to our wedding was in July, end of July. Yeah. So I'm like, that's four months. Away. We're fine. Mm-hmm. So then the realization when we had to move it, it was also then like, OK, nobody's ever had to do this before. <laughs> They've had to move a wedding for a pandemic like what are you've got all these different vendors and and a lot of money that you're having to figure out how the hell are we going to do this and luckily most of the the vendors and of course this was across industry everybody had to be flexible um and and our vendors were all great to move back a year so we ended up getting married having a small wedding with just like the wedding party basically on july 25th 2020 and then we had our, our big we just redid the wedding we had a big wedding on july 25th 2021 so i call her the lady so nice i married her twice uh that's the one she likes better uh she does not like when i introduce her as my second wife <laughs> that one she doesn't think is as funny but it gets i appreciate a better reaction yeah. yeah so so anyway that's the the wedding thing yeah well i'm glad it happened i'm glad uh, i'm glad you got to do it twice um, you know, to me, a wedding is, uh, you know, I'm not on the, on the whole re- religious side of it so much, but it's just a chance to get together with people you love and party. And, uh, yep, absolutely. So you, I'm glad you got to do that part, uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and it was great. It was really fun. It was, it was, you know, we were kind of worried. You're like, is anybody going to say second wedding? Somebody, are people going to care about this yeah. at all? But you know, so many people showed up and supported us and it was That's an great. absolute blast. Yeah. It was, it was great. Let's talk about uh, other fandoms besides the Song of Ice and Fire. Yes. Do you are you active in other fandoms? Definitely not as active in any other fandoms as I am in ASWAF, except probably like NFL things, football things. Uh, I'm a crazy huge NFL fan pri- primarily. Um, huge Bengals fan. Like I said, I'm in the Cincinnati region, and the Bengals are great right now. Yeah. Um, so that's super fun uh other my other big things that i like the expanse and star wars were the two that i put down that i want to want to talk about so we're going to do space stuff uh (laughs) have you both watched or or read the expanse or parts of it i've started it i've done season one of the expanse i am reading it it didn't pull me in it didn't pull you in matt i know i know who am i who am i i was not expecting i know i know i think i just need to try it again I'm about 75 pages into book one and I like it a lot. I'm not, it hasn't hooked me a lot, but I've, my favorite book in the world, uh, the name of the wind didn't hook me either for the first hundred pages. So I'm, I'm, I I always like to give hundred, 150 pages, um, especially on a big series like this. I'm hooked enough for sure. I'm interested enough to keep going. It's not like I'm, you know, I think I'm not reading anything good, but I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Just, uh, you know, with the podcast, it's slow going. 
slow going yeah, no, <laughs> at the reading time. But I, I am excited to do it. I've gotten so many people recommending it to me. Exactly. Um, it's, it's like I, I yeah. need to like this. Yeah. There's no reason I shouldn't. Yeah, you're not. You can't hang out with us anymore if you don't like <laughs> For these sure. Things, Matt. Uh, I'm on the third book right now, Abaddon's Gate, and they're they are. It, it's a really well written onion series. I, I would call it where there's just it's just layers, layers, and you're like, what? The, I didn't even fucking this. How is this layer here? You know, it's it's a really. And I think you'll you'll see that as you keep going. But, but do you wanna... engage in the fandom on it? Because I'm terrified but to yeah. go looking because I don't want to get spoiled on it. Right. Yeah, a little bit on Twitter, uh, like History of Westeros and some of the people around them are, co- they cover the expanse, so they talk about it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll see things from time to time to that, but it's not anything like ASWAF, right? Where, you know, not as much as maybe you used to, but, you know, it's no content in a while. We'll, we'll do that, but ASWAF is still pretty popular. Um, Star Wars. I, I like Star Star oh, Wars a lot. I'm not. I'm not where you guys are. Like I've never read any of the the, the novels mm-hmm, or, or any mm-hmm, of the comics mm-hmm, or things like mm-hmm. that. I have a really bad Star Wars take that's gonna upset you guys. Are we ready to talk about Star Wars for a minute? I, I mean, I'll always talk about Star Wars. I, I would say Let I'm me not, get my I record I'm, scratch ready. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I'm as into it as you think I am. I, I used to read several of the novels. I've cooled on a lot of it. I haven't even watched Bad Batch or. They're like I haven't either. There's so, like I, there's just so much coming out. It's too fast, and I, I can't I can't do it all. I mean, I feel I feel overwhelmed a little bit by it. My Star Wars fandom right now is one at one of its heights. I think. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm really into it right now, but I'm going like the other direction from all the Disney into stuff. Legends. I'm like hard back into Legends again. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, let's hear your awful take. Yeah, let's do the awful take thanks for the warning by the way yeah my awful awful take is that rogue one is the best star wars movie that's not an awful take matt's gonna oh. matt's gonna pat you on the back for that take. I am oh this is wonderful i think it's terrible but matt loves it well I, i'll take one support i okay. rogue one is probably my second favorite star wars movie just behind empire. empire i mean like yeah, yeah the, that's really when I say that I say it just because it gets a better reaction. But then I'm like, okay, fine, Empire, I get it. Blah, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, Rogue One. I think I it, love that it's. You go, go ahead. I was go just ahead. gonna say I think it checks a lot of boxes for some fans. Yeah. You know, of what they were looking for. For me, I always wanted to see that kind of darker, on the ground, in the trenches side of Star Wars, and not the majestic mm-hmm. lightsaber wielding stuff as much. But you know, those soldiers whose names won't be remembered type mm-hmm. thing. Um, and that's, that checked all those boxes for me. Yeah. I, it's, I think that it's, it's wonderfully written. Obviously it's a, a movie that was made to solve a plot hole. Right. But it's like, if you do it well, which they, in my opinion did, and it's kind of what you talked about, right. Where it's like, I like Rogue one because the decisions that the characters are making feel really important because they're not, luke skywalker they're not the chosen one they're not ray they're not anakin they don't have you know like they can't just get out of every situation that they're in they don't have means they're not high up in any kind of political they're just fucking people you know like they're just people that live in this world and by the end of the movie have chosen i mean when they're leaving to go to the final mission on it's scarif right it's scarif scarif uh scarif scarif yeah uh these people that get on the not the plant the spaceship to go that moment when they're leaving they're all like we we know what we're we're going to you know and 
when characters are actually making that decision and, and you know that they know that they know that they're not the main character of the anime uh <laughs> It makes decisions more impactful in the movie, and because of that, there's more weight to it when you watch. In, in my opinion, with those, we also um, know the result too. Yeah. Like, it's not like there's any yeah, illusions yeah. that something, some miracle is going to happen, and they're all going to live, or any of them probably are going to live. We know the result, yeah. right? So it's, yeah. it's 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 interest. It's always been interesting to me. I fought with my sister a little bit about this. It's always been interesting to me that I feel they made a very compelling movie when we all knew the score. From the whole, from beginning yeah. to end, we knew what was going to happen pretty much, you know, and it was mm-hmm. still compelling, and we cared about the characters. Yeah, um, you knew they weren't going to survive. Yeah, and simply because they haven't come up again in the Star Wars universe. And yeah, by the way, I said it's awful earlier. I didn't mean the film was awful. I enjoyed the film. I really liked it. It's somewhere in the middle for me. I just meant that it's sure. the second best yeah. film is is awful too. Well, it's that's a, probably a heavy yeah. Go go pull the population, and Rogue One's not going to come up as the second highest rated Star Wars movie. I uh, I also um, really really like Mandalorian. The mm-hmm. end of the second season again. It's a it's a writing thing where if you just do something well, like because yes. Mandalorian's so different from other Star Wars things. Yeah, but you can tell that they got the perspective right because when you see luke skywalker at the end of spoilers sorry I, i'm sure you've seen this but when luke skywalker shows up at the end of of season two and you're in the mandalorian perspective and you see what a jedi master looks like from that perspective mm-hmm. it's even though it's luke skywalker there's a little bit of of fear uh, fear it's a little yeah. scary like this guy coming up uh and be, the fact that that comes across tells you that Oh shit! When you're in Mando's perspective, which means I got Mando's perspective correct—that you feel that as a viewer, this is what it looks like. I liked that. You know, that's good to get there. When when that's the point you got to, it's like, aha! This is what kind of what you were building to. And of course, it was an extremely well received moment. Mm-hmm. On top of all the Luke fanboy stuff, which was great. You know, but oh yeah, oh, Mandalorian was great. I want to add on to something that you you made me think about while you were talking about. Uh... Rogue One. I think I think Rogue One was I don't I don't know if they did this on purpose, but I feel like it was a it was a learning point for them where they realized they could take stories, you know, kind of outside the main yeah. the main arc there and and have connective tissue to the lightsabers yeah. and the big guys and the the you know the stuff. Lost Stars does this too, right? Where you're you're dealing with these kind of fringe characters but they're connected to the major events. Um and and Mandalorian takes advantage of that, I assume. I assume Cassian uh, Andor that's coming soon too, right? I assume that will also mm-hmm. Ahsoka, Ahsoka mm-hmm. as well. They've they've just mm-hmm. got this ability to, to tear away from kind of the bigger elements, right, and connect to them here and there, but to tell just still these tell well-told stories, meaningful right? stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just kind of like stories. show don't tell. Yeah, yeah. These characters exist in the same world. Don't feel like you have to overly connect them, right? They they already connect. Yes. Just tell the character if you tell the character's story well because it's in this world if you kind of don't think about it too much if the characters don't know they're in this yes. world they inevitably will organically fit better into the world than if like when you load into rogue one they're like ah luke skywalker yeah. <laughs> you know and everybody's like aware of the meta yes. it's like that's not that's not good you know so <laughs> tell a story just, about characters uh, Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I mean, yeah. just the fact that on, on the topic of The Mandalorian and how well done it is, you've got Bill Burr delivering like a really compelling monologue. That's how good The Mandalorian is. 
true. Underrated Bill Burr. Uh, I love Bill Burr. Um, Acting-wise, I don't know anything about him. Politically, anyway. Yes. Uh, he's funny, Skid. But... Um, Dent, you have a podcast. Scad's been on it. I do. Yes. The blood of the podcast. Uh, you're also doing some fun things with covering the NFL. Tell us about this stuff, man. Yeah. The blood of the podcast. We haven't recorded in forever now. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of on hiatus. You know, I hmm. was just talking to Scad about this the other day. I started the blood of the podcast really just because I was getting into the fandom and I was like, I just want to say anything, you know, like, and yeah. So it, yeah, it kind of allowed me to do that. And content creation is really fun. It's really hard. Like, it's so much harder than I th- I thought <laughs> it would be. The audio work and stuff like that, I still am quite bad at it. Um, so, yeah, we covered, like, we did Song of Madness stuff. The biggest thing we really did was uh, the survey poll we took during the last season, Christina and I, uh, mm-hmm. Lady Triple on, on Twitter, um, where we were, we Sunday night the episode would come out, uh, Christina is a statistician in real life, if, for those of you who don't know. Um, so she does this for a, a job, and she has worked with major television networks. Um, we create a poll with questions about the episode, design the survey, put it out the next day, collect the data for typically until like Thursday, pull it on Thursday, get all the data, review all the data, put it into a show doc, and, and go over the results of the survey and it was really fun it was really time consuming it was like a second job during the uh while the season was was premiering but it was really fun um to get the responses we actually then took a survey one year after to, to see like if people's you know opinions had changed after after the year we were going to compare them and it ended up being a horrifically terrible idea um <laughs> the survey got picked up by free folk on uh, Reddit, and we got Christina texts me and says we have twelve thousand responses on the survey, <laughs> and we go, "This is great! That's how wow people are really passionate about this." Th- then we figured out that it got picked up on Freefall because we're looking at the responses, and it, they were ter- really bad. I mean, we couldn't I couldn't share on air what a lot of the responses uh, said about the final season of the show, so we didn't even end up doing an episode over it because we were like there's nothing productive to talk about these uh, comparing these results with the prior year to the survey um i hate to go so too the, too yeah. negative or ask too specific a question on something you didn't want to really air but like oh, they were was it it was just like angsty anger responses over how it ended yeah what's what's yeah, yeah. what's free yeah. folk for free for, folk. for for those non fluent yeah. in reddit yeah, I am non-fluent in Reddit, but uh, Free Folk is a, uh, what, what would you call it, a server on, on Reddit, a forum on Reddit. It's a forum on Reddit um, that, I don't want to speak for Free Folk, because I'm not, I don't know, I'm not in their community. But I do know that there's there's a lot of toxicity and negativity that I have seen come out of the type of posts that are made in Free Folk that I have witnessed and seen. That's what I would say about free folk for anybody who, okay. I don't think anybody from free folk is going to come, come after me here, but um, not a, a kind of a toxic place from, from, from what I've seen. So when it got shared onto free folk, it was shared with like the tagline, like 
leave negative. I don't, I don't remember what it said, but they were asking everybody to tank the survey essentially and leave negative mm-hmm. surveys. So from a statistician viewpoint, the survey was ruined because it, we know because of that, we have some experience with that. Yeah. yeah. That's disappointing. It, yes. You guys absolutely have experience <laughs> with that. Um, I'm not blaming free folk for that. I just yeah. with tanking and surveys and we, we were fine with it. Cause it say, we were like, oh, okay, we don't have to do all the work on this now. That's, that's <laughs> fine. And, and it was funny. We were like, Oh my God, like, very negative responses and and i do think overall people probably would have responded negative anyway after one year i think people feel more negative even today than they did maybe after the show came out although that might not be true i i I don't know that might not be true i Um, I feel like there's a lot of entitlement in the fandom that is generated you know like tywin's corpse sitting there and eventually the white fluid seeps through and mm -hmm. without anything else to go on yeah i think i think some angst seeped through yeah yeah, yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah, we might. Um, I, I kind of would like to cover House of the Dragon stuff. I love Fire and Blood. I almost asked tonight to talk about like just a section of Fire and Blood, but I was like, I don't, I don't think that would work work as well. Oh, Plus, bad. I love this chapter. I usually um, offer it. If I didn't, I apologize. I usually say oh, no, do Duncan Egg or, or Fire and Blood. Uh, okay, yeah, perfectly. This was a great great chapter to talk about here. But um, so I'd like to cover House House of the Dragon. I think it will be good. He said with not the most amount of confidence in the world, but mm-hmm. I hope it's good. Um, so, yeah, but we'll, yeah, we'll see uh, with that. The, on the NFL side, I cover with, with a friend of mine. Just We podcast every probably two weeks just talking about football. It's a little focused on like the fantasy leagues that we're, we're in and stuff, but we're just crazy football people. On House of the Dragon, I think it's got tremendous potential to be amazing, like surpass Game of Thrones even. And also tremendous mm-hmm. potential just if it doesn't grip people like immediately, just yeah. to like stir up a lot of that angst again. But I'm yeah, I'm really hopeful for it. For yeah. people that, that are really looking forward to it. I hope that they can make these characters compelling because it is hard to look at like just to read the material in Fire and Blood and be like, none of these characters are like the the Dance of the Dragon's an interesting thing to read in Fire and Blood, but none of the individual characters are like overtly compelling like even Rhaenyra you're like I, don't know, I mean I, I like Rhaenyra she's strong and that's great but hopefully they can fill in the gaps and make those characters a little more charismatic than they are in the that's the challenge novel. that's why I think that the struggle yeah. the struggle is really compelling and, and could could go down in flames is that you know again not really a big show guy but that show was strongest when it heavily relied on what Martin had done and when they went right. out and let writers do other stuff you know it seemed like the weaker parts and now what you have is letting writers build these characters in the, in the gaps. And so there's a risk, but you know, if you get, again, if you get good people to tell good stories, you can make good stuff and HBO has done a lot of good stuff. So I think there's, there's no reason to think it can't be great. I agree. Let's give it a really good shot because I hope it's great. It's better for the fandom. There's more juice in the fandom when there's, you know, a good show out. Agree with that. Speaking of good show, Throw out a recommendation for us. Book, band, movie, TV show. What should we be looking into that we may not know about? I have, I have a Besides band. Besides The Expanse the, for me. <laughs> Expanse is the first thing. Expanse is the first thing on your list from Dent, Matt. Um, <laughs> but I have a, a kind of strange one because this is no longer a band. But a friend of mine is Discount Nostalgia is the name of the band. Hmm. Discount Nostalgia. Discount Nostalgia. Uh, 
they have an album that they recorded. This was a couple years ago, 2016, 2017. Um, it's on YouTube. If you just search Discount Nostalgia, you should be able to, to find it. It's so good. I just listen to it all the time now. The music's really good. It's very like, uh, it's it's like rock, but it's laid back. It's laid back, chill rock. Is hmm. a not so good description of it. But um, they've since disbanded. They're just college guys that moved to different places. My friend is who he actually still is becoming one of the biggest bookers for music up in the Northwest Ohio region. So he still works in music and has other bands, uh, extremely talented musician. Um, but yeah, I just love discount nostalgia music. So I was like, that's a really crazy random band that no longer is a band and have, has one album that I think is great. Uh, so that's my recommendation. Those are sometimes the most tragic for me because of I know, what you're could like, have ah, been. I want more. I want could more. have been. I've got a great band like that called The Morning Light that I just absolutely Light, okay. love that were a one album band. I saw them open up for another band once live and that was it that was the end of them and yeah you just listen to the music and you love it but there's that little hurt inside it's like oh we could have exactly exactly discount two birds just two birds is my favorite song from discount nostalgia all right check it out calisar yeah boost their listens a little bit yeah the the former members of the band will go look at their numbers and be like oh my gosh i have 20 more listens and not even knowing that it's every day (laughs) dent (laughs) yeah just every day listening well let's uh let's get back to the chapter a little bit why why did you choose you 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 talked about this a little bit uh in the chapter or in the chapter section one but why do you choose this chapter what is it that you love about this one specifically yeah so sort of talking about this already i think what what remains is that jamie is this character that i think is one of the most interesting characters in the story because of all the reasons we've talked about already and this chapter is one of the best chapters where a lot of those talking about layers again are sort of peeled back and not totally like ripped away, but like he peels back a lot of different layers throughout this chapter like that we've already talked about all these different relationships and how he feels. This chapter kind of just is a, a touchstone as you go down every single page on like, oh, here's how Jamie feels about this. And here's how Jamie's dealing with this. And here's how he's so because of that, it's always I mean, I talked about it's a great point for like what really Feast is going to be about because this is still at the very, you know, towards the beginning of the of the book. Um, It also works really well with the chapters around it. Um, Cersei 2 is right before that. It's a chapter uh, preceding this chapter. Mm -hmm. And that's about Tywin's funeral from Cersei's perspective and, and her day dealing with that. So you have Cersei and then Jaime. And then guess who? Guess who's next? If you had to guess one, cha- who's the next chapter? Do you think it is? It's Brienne, a lady. Of yep. And then it's Sansa. So like, I love the like when you're reading through this book, it's just these those chapters next to each other are just are like they, they play together like music. Yeah, yeah, they just flow so well into one another. Um, and so I, this is such a good spot to kind of step back and look at that and see how they're all connect there's a couple more connections that i'll wait to when we we're going to get into talking about the chapter about how it connects with some of these other chapters but that's that, that would be my answer it's just a a really good chapter where you can kind of peel away every single line and talk about it you know i really didn't think about it until we talked earlier about how those cha- those chapters really play together so mm-hmm. well you have kind of the chaos the the, the mental chaos that are seriously's chapters followed by the introspection of jamie's chapters followed by what are kind of with Brienne's chapters, usually just kind of 
I don't mean this negatively, but kind of like plodding step by step mm. chapters, followed by Sansa's, you know, girl apart from the world looking for herself chapters. It's they're they're just very different styles, and yet they're I don't know they they work very well together. It's four people trying to like figure out who they are in yeah. a way. Yeah, which yeah. goes back to what in Kyle said world. earlier about putting the world back together, right? Yeah, and they're that world for them is themselves. Yeah. Within yeah. this world. Well, it has to start with you, doesn't yeah. it? You can't do anything to the world if you're like, I don't even know how to, I don't know who I, you know, yeah. like, you have to Cersei, kind of figure yeah, out. Cersei yeah, Cersei thinks she knows who she is. She's And that's the problem. Tywin. <laughs> she's, she just thinks she's Tywin. Jamie's trying to figure out how he fits into this new world. Brienne, too, with this trust that Jamie now has in her and this oath that she feels like she needs to fulfill. And then obviously Sansa and what she's doing with Littlefinger. So, yeah, it's all very interesting how that all fits into the theme of the whole story. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the, I hadn't thought of that. The beginning that. of that next Sansa chapter, I think it's at the very beginning of that chapter. It might be another one. I'm like 80% sure it's this. It's the Sansa chapter we are currently referring to. Uh, it starts with her saying... Uh, she had only wanted to dream, but now all the dreams, I don't even remember the line. Anyway, it's her, it's a direct conflict quote with her praising the songs. I don't remember the exact line, but it's kind of the same thing we're talking about with Jamie and Cersei, where it's top, top level stuff changing that everybody is like, the way the world was no longer works. And we have right. to figure out, that's not so dissimilar to kind of what we're all doing here, you know, in, yeah. in our own world right now. So, so true. Yeah. Well, should we dive back into it? Let's just jump back into it. Summary part yes, two. please. Cersei believed half the court to be either useless or treasonous. Pycelle, the Kingsguard, the Tyrells, Jaime, even Sir Illyn Payne, the silent knight who served as the king's headsman. As the king's justice, the dungeons were his responsibility. However, being mute and uniquely unequipped to handle such a position, he had left the running of the dungeons to his underlings. Enter underling, Renifer Longwaters. A bent-back old turnkey who is the chief underjailer. Longwaters tells Jamie a story of his ancestor, John Waters, who was the bastard son of Alan Oakenfist Valerion and Eleanor Targaryen, meaning Renifer had a drop. Renifer had a drop of dragon's blood himself. Longwaters starts to explain to Jamie who the man Rugen was, a turnkey who's gone missing since the murders. Jamie finds this entire endeavor a farce. He knew who Rugen was. And it was Jamie, of course, who had released Tyrion. Are we getting the entire House Lannister is built on a mountain of lies theme? Okay. Worse, Jamie finds out that his own men have already murdered the two turnkeys who had been on duty the night of Tyrion's escape, and they had been given the order by Cersei. Oof, the worst. Jamie tells his guys to stop being such idiots, and to talk to him next time anyone commands him to do anything that is obviously a terrible idea. You idiots! Back in the Septus Baylor, Jamie's vigil continues. The stench from Lord Tywin was growing. The smell reminded him of the pass below the Golden Tooth, where he'd won a glorious victory in the first days of the war. On the morning after the battle, the crows had feasted on victors and vanquished alike, as once they'd feasted on Rhaegar Targaryen after the trident. How much can a crown be worth when a crow can dine upon a king? Jamie notices crows circling the Great Sept. Every crow in the Seven Kingdoms should pay homage to you, father. From Castamere to Blackwater, fed them well. Tywin's rotting smile widened. Unbidden, Jamie's thoughts went to Brienne of Tarth. Stupid, stubborn, ugly wench. He wondered where she was. Father, give her strength. 
and he then thinks on his first vigil, when he had spent the night kneeling before the warrior. After, Sir Arthur Dane had tapped Dawn upon his shoulder. The knight rose. The young lion, not the kingslayer. But that was long ago, and the boy was dead, and the white book would be waiting when his vigil was done. His page open in dumb reproach. I'll hack the bloody book to pieces before I'll fill it full of lies. Yet if he would not lie, what could he write but truth? Good stuff. I love that line at the end, right? This is, again, Jamie figuring out some good... He's there, there, Here's some good things, right? It's like the good, the good and the bad that we see Jamie always ha- having, making good decisions, making worse decisions. But if he would not lie, what could he write but truth? It's good that he's thinking about that. Have to do some good things. Right. Because if not, I have nothing else. That's good. That is good. Yeah. Um, and whether it's saving a whole city or helping Brienne, Brienne save one young girl. Uh, he needs to realize that those are the types of things that matters. And I think he might start to at the end, you know, when he's writing his own passage in the white book later on, um, you, you kind of get a sense that he's starting to see the value that his actions are having the truth that behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's kind of like nothing better than forced introspection right especially when you haven't been the mm-hmm. best and also especially on the other hand when you've been doing better like mm-hmm. giving yourself acknowledgement for the, for the better choices you've been making it'll be interesting to see what jamie fills that white book with because yeah if you can't if you can't write the truth <laughs> you know or there are no good truths what do you write yeah so the truth behind it there's another we actually i missed this earlier when Pycel comes to uh, the Sept, and this was in the first first part when in the morning when mourners came, um, Jamie discusses how his beard is gone and how it was the cruelest thing Tyrion could have done to him because the beard hid all manners of uh, not inconsistencies, but uh, of bad things. It hid all manner of b- bad things from the from the world. Right? It's Jamie's hand. I mean, it's the right. exact same. Yeah, he had experience it's, it's, with that. He says something about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So again, him thinking about what the what the truth is behind it. You know, some things. This is kind of interesting. We talked about George being such a gray writer, um, and obviously there is a lot that's most of what's in his world is gray. But but there are some things like we talked about with Jamie uh, killing Ares that maybe are not good things, right? I wouldn't want to call killing somebody good, but the the right thing. You know, I think you would say it was the, the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard to see sometimes. And again, that's kind of Jamie's Jamie's story. And that's just another, the beard was, was one that I had thought of earlier. Do we ever, do we ever get to read? I can't remember how Jamie killing Eris was written by Sir Barristan. How did he write it? Did, did we get that? I think so. Yeah, there's that one chapter where he's going through the white book, but because that's an ugly truth, and it'd be interesting to hear how Barristan wrote that. Uh, oh yeah, it, it is. J- Jamie reads his his passage aloud. Um, his la- I think it's his last chapter in, in Feast. Um, and it, it is. I don't remember the exact wording, so it's it's not as useful. But 
it, I think it just says killed his king. It's very pragmatic. It's just yeah, yeah very, very barristany. Yeah. yeah, no, no judge, not I, judgy, just factual. Yeah, that makes sense. I would imagine we will get. I mean, maybe it's a little idealistic to think Brienne will be the Lord Commander at the end of the series, but I kind of think it will happen, and that she will write in the White Book the truth of this thing Jamie had to suffer with his entire life, his entire adult life. Uh, that she will write the truth of it. So this line here kind of almost could stick out as foreshadowing. What could he write but truth? And it's kind of like, well, you already did one good thing. You kind of can't be the one to put it in there. That has to be something that yeah. people say about you. Yeah. Um, but Brienne seems like she would naturally be that person to do that. And I want it in the white book because it's them- thematically pleasing to my brain. So I think <laughs> she, she will. Um, but yeah, it seems like that could be kind of foreshadowing to that because the white book is clearly i know it's on the nose but it's the book about this page his page and his face and dumb reproach right this page is kind of like about the truth of his life and yeah needs to be filled in at some point because it's Chekhov's gun if you give me a page that tells me about who jamie truly was as a knight you, you need to finish it and finish the page before the book is done <laughs> it's it's one of those things too anybody going back and actually reading the white book and reading just the phrase that Barristan used, he slew his king, or you know whatever it was. Mm-hmm. They're gonna be like, "Come on, man! Like, come on! Like, we need yeah. we need something here, some some level of judgment or something that that goes into this." And so, getting it from somewhere else might be helpful. But you're right; mm-hmm. I don't think it can be Jamie that writes it on his own page. Or, no, it can't you know. be. I also going back to your uh, your Picel thing. I also thought that that. Um, Picel and the beard, you know, uncovering all of his blemishes and his bad teeth, and seeing the mm-hmm. truth of who he really was physically is all. Was also kind of a metaphor for, for being able to see the ruin that Tywin had become and being able to judge sure. him mm-hmm. without all of his ah. bombastic and you know, control and power. This is who he is laid low, and we can think about him more realistically, just like we can Picel without his beard. Yeah, that story about his eyes. And how Tywin could just stare somebody down mm-hmm. and like stare him into submission. He can't do that anymore. Right. Yeah. So I have something on that, on the, on the eyes part. Well, it ties to another part of this chapter, the unbidden. Uh, let's see, where is it? Unbidden. His thoughts went to Brienne, stupid, stupid, stubborn, ugly wench. He wondered where she was. Father gave her strength. In the immediate preceding chapter of this, that Cersei chapter, um, that's where we get, the story of, of Tywin's unflinching eyes and how he runs, I think it's Lord Riker, out of the room. But it starts unbidden. A memory came to her. And then she remembers the story about her father running the guy out of the room with, with his eyes. Mm-hmm. But in back-to-back chapters, we have unbidden Cersei, an unbidden memory of Tywin, who is who she wants to become, presumably. And Jamie in the very next chapter, having unbidden. It's also the only two times George uses the word unbidden in, in this book. Huh. Um Ooh. His memories go to Brienne, which is like who that's he who he, we hope, yeah. wants to become. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I love, cool. I love that. I love that connection. That is a great connection. Very cool. Thanks for calling that out. Going back to that quote from the first section, he had more feeling in the hand he'd lost than in the rest of the body that remained to him. Scad, I think you equated it, and I think this correct to, you know, the handship of Tywin and and things mm-hmm. like that. But I I also see the lost hand as being indicative of his experience with Brienne um, because mm. it happened 
when they were together and everything. Yeah. So when he's got more feeling in that lost hand, I think it could also be, in addition to what you're saying, symbolic of uh, his formative experiences with Brienne. And anytime I see that lost hand, I think of her. But yeah. So, so, so like, you think maybe like the phantom limb feelings that he gets is actually like maybe tied to brain thoughts of her as well? That they kind of brain come thoughts together. Of her and 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 not just her as a person, but the influence she's had okay. upon him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's cool. I like it. I like that. I yeah. said the word brain thoughts as if there are any other kinds. <laughs> there's like there's I, there's like wiener thoughts. <laughs> Some it's like when you're I, thinking with the head of your penis more than the head of your brain. That's thank a, you for spelling that out. That's a Parks and Rec. Uh, what's yep. his name? Andy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> brain thoughts. You guys want to talk? I, caught, uh, I liked it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was saying, I liked the brain thoughts. I was going to ask if you want to talk Renifer Longwaters. I was going to just say the same thing. Well, who doesn't want to talk Renifer Longwaters? <laughs> Renwaters. Beautiful. I, I just um, want to say, first of all, the people getting his reports is hilarious. He sends his reports yeah. to Baelish, Varys, and a dude that can't read. <laughs> so he's spending all this time basically just like informing on the people that already know and probably set everything up to happen and someone that can't read and wouldn't read even if he could the reports that he's sending. And there are reports about like seven prisoners total. Yes. yes. <laughs> and he still can't keep it up to date. He's so proud yeah, of keeping yeah. the books in order. He's like, and Tyrion, your brother, who has oh, fled. Yeah. Right, let me fix that. <laughs> It's like having the like the spreadsheet up in front of the client, and you're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't update this one yet." <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. And they have more turnkeys than they do prisoners. Yeah. Like, yep. This is well, this is this is Baelish is doing right. He would sell those posts yes. to make money. I think. Yes. Um, is, uh, well, and then committing fraud, wage fraud. Yeah, yeah, and they're yeah they're getting that. They're paying wages for twenty, and they've only got seven or whatever. So you know, where's the wages for the others going? Obviously. Yeah. Also, so though, like, <laughs> really, only seven? I mean, do they have? Maybe there are other prisons in town. I guess. But like King's Landing is a huge. Place. I wondered that too. It's like really, That's you don't have point. you don't have anybody else in your dungeons. Like yeah, maybe they just have like a more common prison, and these I are think, like yeah, maybe the city crimes watch. against the crown or something. Yeah, the city watch incarcerate their people somewhere else. Yeah. You know, yeah. This is the scintillating content you get when you listen to Davos Fingers. <laughs> How many jails are there in King's Landing? <laughs> it's a city of a half million people. It's actually a good question. There have to be more more jails. I mean, maybe that's just because we're American. Maybe that's an Americanized. Thought on imprisonment, unfortunately. Why aren't they all carrying um, guns? Yeah, they'd be a lot safer if all those people in King's Landing had guns. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I so I, I have a Renifer Longwater thing. Do it. I have a. I actually have, I have two Renifer Longwater. Things. Better oh, than so just the first the inane jokes we're telling. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, uh, the story he tells, right? Of course, anytime anybody gives you any background about themselves in Aswath, you've Put your finger on it in the book and say, okay, why is this important? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Put an entire yep. paragraph about Renifer freaking Longwaters. Like, yep. uh, and the story's kind of interesting. You need a little, I have a tinfoil hat next to me. This is going to get just a little tinfoily. <laughs> he is wearing the tinfoil hat now. Yeah. I, I, I think they I can hear it. It did wonders <laughs> for his audio for a second. Yeah, they probably, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So he tells the story of his ancestor, John Waters, and how he was uh, a bastard son of Alan Oakenfist, which is super cool. Yep. Awesome. And Jamie, yes, Alan Oakenfist is awesome. Um, and Jamie, of course, doesn't believe this guy. He's like, he's probably lying. It's kind of told to us as if maybe he's probably not being truthful or he's exaggerating. And he is not exaggerating. Canonically, and this is from the wiki, he is related to John Waters, who is the bastard son of Alan of Alan Valerian and Elena Targaryen. There's a little bit more that's sort of interesting about John Waters. John Waters was the bastard son of a seafarer. Uh, let's see. He had a twin. This is the part I was going. He had a twin sister. Jane, right? Jane Waters. Mm-hmm. So and this is the kind of tinfoily part. This bastardy connection. Anytime there's like these bastardy ideas floating around House Lannister, you start to get a little suspicious with the, I'm just going to say it, the Tyrion Targaryen and the Jaime or Cersei Targaryen thing. Mm-hmm. And here we've got, bastards are, are mentioned again later in this chapter as well. Um, and when when you look and this random guy is an ancestor of John Waters, who was a bastard of, a, a bastard Targaryen, essentially, a Valerian and Targaryen, and he has a twin sister, and he was a great warrior. That's why he added the long to his name, is he was a great warrior. So the warrior connection to Jaime, he specifically called, was a great warrior. Uh, and he has this twin sister, Jane. I don't know, it's just like, it was a weird thing to find when I clicked into John Waters and was like, oh, John Waters, who's being invoked here, as a twin sister and he was a warrior. Am I crazy for thinking that? I'm probably reading too much into this, but it was it was weird to find when I dove into it on the wiki. The twin aspect is compelling. Yeah, it's a little like that's maybe a coincidence. Probably a coincidence. But maybe it's not a coincidence. <laughs> so I I've never I've never really been the Tyrion Targaryen theory interests me. I think it's interesting whether it's true or yeah. not true. Um I I could see the story the stories compelling either way you know agreed tywin hating his son for being nothing like him and for killing his his um his wife who he loved very compelling as a story Tyrion not actually being his son and yet being even more like him than any of his other children uh, also interesting and compelling um you know there, it's it's interesting either way i've never really i've never really had the same feeling about the jamie Cersei theory about them being bastards they yeah. always just felt like yeah. Lannisters to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do agree with that. I don't. The Tyrion Targaryen one is is quite quite compelling. Um, I'm on board with it. I'll just say it. I'm kind of. I've kind of. I think I've kind of switched. Um, yeah, the Tyrion Targaryen one is pretty compelling. The evidence there's a there's a lot of, of legitimate evidence. The Jamie Cersei stuff. It's stuff like this. You're like, well, Renifer mm-hmm. Longwaters was related to John Waters, and he had a twin sister and was a bastard. Like. You can see the the jumps in logic. Just a little strange to see. The other, this is just another connection to the next chapter. Jamie bumps into this Renifer Longwater guy who has a connection to House Valerian, right? He says he was he's a related to a princess, is what he says. Mm-hmm. The next chapter, Brienne bumps into uh, the washerwoman at the inn that she stays at. Uh, Brienne is asking about the Darklands, the lordly Darklands. Where are they? And th- the washerwoman tells her that she's descended from a darklin so and the way it reads it's kind of like pieced together and told similarly to how renifer longwaters is telling about his great ancestor who was also famous so 
that's another one that seems it just seems really purposeful from George's part that like at least something similar is happening to Brienne as as Jamie. Mm. Um, so that also s- stands out to me. But that's my Renner for Longwater's thing. It's a fun character. I I like the tinfoil. It's I I always like to include these these little things yeah. in our episodes where we can. Matt, you said yeah. you said a minute ago you're on board with it. Which part did you mean that 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 the Renner for Longwater stuff is is good evidence for Jamie and Cersei or or on the Tyrion Targaryen thing in uh, general? Tyrion Targaryen. I'm on board with Tyrion Targaryen, but I do agree with you, Scad, that right or wrong, Tyrion's relationship with Tywin is compelling in either way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I think you said this in. I, I listened back to your episode when you guys actually covered this chapter. Um, it would be cool for a character like Renifer Longwaters to show back up in any capacity in the future. Um, he ostensibly could be somebody who still just has this job running the jails and King's Landing is, we, we think, soon to change hands. And it's not impossible that the guy that runs the jails bumps into important people that we're seeing. It'd be, it'd be cool to see a guy like Renifer Longwaters get mentioned and show back up again. And I don't think impossible either. Not that that's important at all, but it, it could happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we talked about like if uh, Renifer, you know, if Aegon got into King's Landing mm-hmm. and all of a sudden Renifer's like, hey, it's a target. I'm guess what? Me too. And right. And, yeah. <laughs> or even Danny. And he's like, Danny is he becomes yeah. he becomes like a court necessity for Danny because he's got history of the dragons in his blood and and can tell stories and stuff because she misses you know, a dead Barristan or something. Yeah, it could totally be something where they make a friend in the dungeons, um, and who knows where that could come in handy. You it's know? hard to it's hard to imagine anyone tolerating like... this guy for anything more than a few minutes, though. <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't think he'd become like <laughs> the next Jorah Mormont to Danny or something like that. But you know, yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. all he needs is a chance. <laughs> Probably not. To prove uh, his quality, and, and we pretty much covered all the crow stuff earlier. It was hard not to talk about the yeah. the crow stuff. It's such a central thematic part of this chapter. Well, the, this book in general, right? That's why this chapter is really good. Is because it's got all that stuff. But we kind of beat that to death. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. There's a little bit there where uh, Jamie says, um, you know, he he wouldn't be father son their father's sons husbands jamie would only ever be a warrior oh yeah and yeah and it's ironic because he kind of no longer is a warrior at least in this part of the part of the story before he's you know started retraining and maybe getting some of that back he's Mm -hmm. not a warrior anymore and ironically he is a father and a son right he's not a husband but he is a lover and in this chapter desires to be a husband so he's aspiring to all these roles, or not yeah. aspiring to them, but is them or aspires to them, uh, and yet claims not to be any of them, um, mm-hmm. and claims to be the one that he is no longer. It's uh, an interesting yeah. moment. He's a confused guy, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, he really doesn't see it yet. It goes back to the quote about Pycelle and the beard um, that we talked already quite a bit about. Jamie... You know what it says, who knew what it was to lose a part of yourself, the part that made you who you were. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the key there, who you were. And what it does, though, when you lose something like a hand or a beard that was so wrapped up in your identity, that sword hand was what made him a warrior. 
losing that forces you to find out who you really are past just that title of warrior and um, that's why he's really confused because he'd labeled himself a warrior for so long and allowed that to be his only identity but there's more to jamie and he's not allowing himself to see that he doesn't even know how to it's not even allowed he just doesn't even know how to even start that process of self-discovery and um Brienne's helping him do that and that's why he I think he's responding so negatively to Brienne because she almost unintentionally is helping him discover who he really is and he doesn't know how to respond or react or do he just can't even internalize this idea of self-discovery and uh it's throwing him for a loop he wants he doesn't want to discover right he wants to stay who he is I just want to be the warrior I was fine when I was the warrior things were go, great go away inside yeah. go away i yeah. just want go right i could go Growth away is hard yeah absolutely it was easy when he was a warrior but... yeah you're, you're so right he's not that's what we talked about earlier right that's what not feeling things now you have to think about now you have to think about yourself and you don't know how to do that and like he's doing it on accident well sometimes right like sometimes we've said tonight where he thinks something or does something you're like that was very good jamie good but he's it's an act he he did it on accident and then like in the next line he's you know doing something terrible like kind of what we're going to talk about cersei and his interaction here in a little bit it's like if he could just he needs to purposefully realize that he needs to be thinking about how to be a better person and, and he has to do it on purpose you know not yeah. an accident like it, it's such a weird our brains are so crazy powerful yeah and they move so fast that they're so like reading about somebody's thoughts is totally different than actually being in them right, right? your thoughts you have so many that spew through you every moment of every day every minute of every day you know hundreds of maybe thousands of thoughts go through your brain in a minute right oh, and it's like it's which ones difficult. do you which ones do you remember and which ones like shape your actions, right? And which ones do you choose to remember for for later? Forget this moment, like to to make it a point to, to do actually, that again. Like, analyze, yeah. Yeah, I want to do that right again. That's a thought I had. It right. was a good one. Put it in right. glass, Dude. frame it, so I can do it again later. Like it's incredibly right hard on to my do. hand. Like it's hard. Yeah, it is. It is hard. Like I even think about like when and this is the dumbest example i don't know why it's popped in my head but like when my dog will pee on the floor and i'll get like really mad and like yell at her because she shouldn't do do that when she does it on the carpet up here is and i'm upstairs right now where there is carpet that's the worst and i'll get really mad at her and then i'll clean it up and calm down and i'll be like why do i like let myself get that mad for that that's a dumb yeah. the dumb reason to get that mad but it happens every time i get that mad again the next time mm-hmm. and every time when i calm down the i'm like why did i get that mad there was no reason to be that upset parenthood my friend yes. <laughs> i mean you i'm just like not i don't know if i'm visually nodding word, or not but i'm in my head word. i'm just like yep. <laughs> but it's so hard to like because when you start getting mad it doesn't pop into your head like remember last time when you felt like guilty and bad about yourself (laughs) like it doesn't yeah ah, you just want to plug your brain together better but it's like that with jamie and and every character jamie's just doing a lot of a lot of it you know i think every human it's just easy every human it's just easy to read about it with jamie and be like why do you do that it's like i did it today seven times yes the same thing he's doing it's Mm -hmm. just 
that's easier to point it out as a reader. That's why we like him, actually. Yeah. Maybe. Why he's a good character. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, yeah. I just yeah. want to say real quick, this is the last thing I have for this chapter. I don't know what you guys, you guys have. This is kind of, or not for the chapter, for this section. Um, Tyrion has done a number on Jamie as well. One of the yes. other roles that he has in his brain is lover of Cersei, right? And I'm the one that she wants and for real, for realsies. And that's my role. And Tyrion has just like taken that from him as well. That part of his confidence is gone too. And he is just, it comes up all the time, this thing that Tyrion said about fucking uh, Moon Boy, for all I know. And he, you can just see it anytime he sees Kettle Black. It just rages inside of him. Later, the next, I think it's the very next Jamie chapter when he sees Lancel, same thing. Just mm -hmm. like, he cannot restrain his anger over this part of his identity being taken from him. They both ruined each other's perception of love to a woman yeah. in their life by lying to each other yeah. both of them did the exact same thing yeah. to, to one one another yeah. it's just mm -hmm. look look at how these these lannisters treat one another Tyrion, is so good paid at... that debt that he's been carrying for years yes Ooh. yeah good yeah call. wow that's that's a great call that's such good writing i hate how good of writing that is like i could never write that that's really good <laughs> um yeah, I mean, it, again, it's like every time you look at something in House Lannister and you're like, okay, what happened at this important point between these two people? Oh, oh, oh shit, they're doing horrible things to each other because of horrible things that they did to each other in the past. Like, like you can't fix it when you haven't been kind, you know? Like, it's kind of that simple, kind and honest, to especially people in your family. But also, this also goes to the context of the people you share the world with. I think the thing with Tywin really is that the him decaying past him maybe being poisoned by Oberyn Martell, which I kind of believe, but mm -hmm. the thematic part of it is that Tywin was a monster to the people he shared the world with. And because of that, his entire house is going to rot around it's, him and it's going yeah. to be because of everything he did to the people around him and to his children. It, it doesn't last a day past him being gone, basically. As soon as Tywin's gone, you can see in this chapter, Tywin has just, he's not even buried yet. He is on the table and literally like this chapter you can kind of see He's... everything decaying around it's all coming down already yeah, yeah. there's yep. been a, that that part's in the next section but you're you're right i think there's a lot we can talk about with that decay stuff yeah I'm, and that's all i got on that i shouldn't even we'll save it yet. yeah but the, i've got well you yeah, made it's... me think of new things so I'll, we'll get there though we'll get there we'll get yeah there. yeah okay all right should we go into section two here for getting to know getting to know you a little bit better buddy oh yes absolutely all right, so the the section's more about your your relationship to a song of ice and fire. Yeah, what is your song of ice and fire story? How did you we, we talked a little bit about this on our test call, but how did mm. you find it? So I usually attribute it to Radio Westeros. I just found I don't even remember how I found it. It clearly must have been recommended, or maybe I even just saw them on Twitter. But just started listening to Radio Westeros's coverage of the books, and it was the first the first people I ever heard really like really talking about the books right and it was just i mean you know fell in love like you know radio i was like i can't believe how smart these people <laughs> are the things that for sure it's unbelievable yeah. how they piece together and their production's very good yoke boys uh, a former sound engineer too mm -hmm. so yep. 
it's not even like a podcast. I always feel like I'm listening to a movie every time that I listen to <laughs> Radio Westeros. It's a production um, for yeah. sure. Yep. So good. It's a production. It's unbelievable. So good. What, what goes into doing that? Um, and then from there, they had they had uh, Jeff on at one point for the coverage of Marine episode. Mm-hmm. And they talk about his, his you know, wars and politics. That one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a great one. It's really good. Um, is that the, like a movie, is that the right? one that where they have like the correspondence in yes. the different parts yes. of the yes. yeah. battle? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then that led me to wars and politics and started reading some of Jeff's really, really amazing work there. Um, and he used to have these podcasts on wars and politics that were uh, just, you know, talking about basically what, you know, their work on the site and stuff. Um, and the audio was terrible. And I know Jeff knows thinks this too is the only reason i, I say that because uh, it was just the very beginning of them really covering it's not even not a cast or anything like that but even listening to those like i was i never even at the time thought the audio was bad i was just like these people are talking about the book in a way that's so f- fun you know like so good so thoughtful yeah it really starts to change the way you think about other things you know like because you're like i never would have thought about these relationships that way you know mm-hmm. um and then started kind of you know connecting with people on Twitter kind of through through that, and then you know once you find those people you're like you know down the rabbit hole yeah everybody else and and you guys on Twitter so that's kind of where I, I would say I came in at and that's a very similar story to tons of people you know for sure so, yeah yeah but what where did you find the books to begin with that, that led you to listen uh, yeah. to Radio Westeros Get, watching Game of Thrones I, I had a so, friend in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, again, a super common story. I was a show, show watcher first. My friend Connor bugged me for forever to watch these, this stupid show with him. And this is when we were in college, uh, and we lived in a, I lived in a townhouse with four other guys. And I came home like late one night at 1130, and Connor's sitting on the couch with the first episode of Game of Thrones pulled up. And he was like, I know you have anything going on. Sit down and watch this with me. Huh. Uh, he ambushed you? I was like, Yes, he completely ambushed me. Uh, it's amazing. And I sat down and watched the first episode, and the first episode ended, and, like, I knew right away. I kind of knew it would be something that I liked. It just was, you know, starting shows is difficult. Uh, but, yeah, I watched the first episode and was like, okay, this is about to take over my life. And it did. Uh, and <laughs> so I just watched the remainder of five seasons at the time is when I when I got in. So at the oh, end wow. of the fifth season, John dies. Spoiler, guys. Uh John dies, and I closed the book. I got up, got into my car, and went and bought the books and started reading the books, and then just plowed through those too. So, uh, right that, after finishing the season, the you went up and bought like that yes, second I, I, you got in your car and bought. Yeah, the books? it was like the middle of the wow. day when I finished them because I just was like every waking second reading. I mean, yeah. I think I read the. Or I I said the I just said the first five books and then got sad that that's all of the books. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I finished the I finished dance. And I closed it. So I guess I didn't end with John dying because that's not the end of the book. But I closed the book and then I got up and went and bought, or I, I'm sorry, no, at the end of the fifth season, mm-hmm. cuts to black, I got up and went and bought the books. Yeah. yeah. So, <sighs> yeah, it's uh, to get like what keeps me coming back to it, right? I think we all ask ourselves that <laughs> all the time. But, um, Really, at least looking from a writer perspective, I continue to be more and more impressed with how good George is with perspective. If George is good with any, if he's better than anybody at anything, 
in my opinion at least it's how he writes perspective hmm. right he's not as like uh it's not as like good of a writer as is tolkien right you you read some lines that tolkien writes and you're like line felt like there was magic in it right Rothfuss his descriptions is and, mine yeah yeah like and not that george doesn't have those lines he certainly does but what george for instance tolkien i shouldn't be comparing tolkien and martin because that's how you get into huge trouble on twitter not here but, uh, Tolkien doesn't deal with perspective a, a whole lot. You're very omniscient in Lord of the Rings. So kind of comparing them doesn't even, it's kind of silly to be honest, because they're so completely different, even stylistically. Yeah. Um, but George's ability to write a character, and when you're in Catelyn's chapter, when you're in Jamie's chapter, this is such a fleshed out person that you're talking about. You see why this person is the way that they are. You like really get it, you know, and they make decisions off of who they are and, based on how they've got there and you get it, you know, like these characters don't, you don't see the strings, you know, that's what George is really good at. You're like these, yeah, these characters are making this, this decision. And he made that wrong decision because of this list of trauma. And it's an entire discussion, you know, like he's so good at that. And he does it for so many different kinds of characters. Yeah. Jamie Davos Sansa Theon is probably one of the greatest identity crises written in, in literature the, the, how far he throws theon down the well you yeah. know so that's what always brings me back is reading that and being like it's so he does it so well that it's always compelling to come back because you notice all these little different layers yeah and that's what keeps me coming back to the story at least i want more of it <laughs> someday i love someday. i love the way you put that i i i feel similarly i think it, it's not just their voices the chapters themselves like feel like that character somehow yeah you brought up theon yes. like theon's yes. theon's chapters most of them feel like anxiety just the way they're written they feel anxious right right and it's and brienne's they feel plotting and direct and step the way by things step are described right? and mm -hmm. yeah yeah i like the way you put it uh sure. you and my co-host share love for a certain former king turned musician uh king why do, yes. why why do you i think i've heard most of matt's but why do you love this theory so much Mance matt's rhaegar mm -hmm. uh the ties that it's, bind it's so <laughs> yeah it's so tied it's this really wild crazy little thing that's tied into such a central part of the story that's like what you know, at the end of the day, people ask this question on Twitter all the time, right? At the end of the day, is this story really about the Starks? And like, kind of, like it, it kind of is about the Starks if you want to summarize it in in one sentence, which you can't really do. But Jon Snow, as if there's a main character in the story, it's Jon and Danny, right? They're extremely yep. pivotal, pivotal to how the story will inevitably end. And you've got this story of Bale the Bard that somehow connects with what happened to Rhaegar and Lyanna, which is what started everything, right? Like, that's the... Talk about flashpoints. Rhaegar and Lyanna is maybe the biggest flashpoint in the series as far as how it affects Westeros. And nothing, we know nothing, nothing about it. Yeah. It's... it's <laughs> how, how does George have this, this flashpoint that is going to completely rearrange everybody and he's going to make it rearrange everybody and he's not going to tell us anything about it and he's going to tie that to his main character based on a legend the bale the bard legend 
And then we're going to have a character Mance Raider come in, who is a very, one of the five kings in the war. Is a very central character. And then Mance, if you get into the theory about Mance actually being Rhaegar, right? The reason the theory is there is because the evidence is, it's clearly purposeful that George is trying to, to make it, I don't know if he's actually trying to make it look like Mance is Rhaegar, but it's ridiculous how many connections that these yeah. two guys have. And it's very purposeful. They're both doing the same thing a little differently. Rhaegar wanted to, thought that he was the one who was supposed to save the world, right? And obviously he seems like he was a little bit more prophecy driven, but again, we don't really know that. That's an assumption. We don't, don't have a lot about Rhaegar. Um, Mance is doing the same thing. He's trying to save his people against the the knight, which is what Rhaegar was ostensibly trying to do by creating the prince that was promised. So their even their motives are the same. You have Rhaegar living out Bale the Bard's legend of actually plucking the blue winter, winter rose, rose from mm-hmm. from Winterfell, and then you have Mance doing the exact same thing and doing it on purpose and literally saying in the book that he was inspired by Bale's uh, song. Right, so like. It's so tied underneath of those. It's really just impressive. And I'll pause there, but what what do you think, Matt, on some of that? 100% agree. Uh, And I think the theory, it's one of those like Tyrion Targaryen. It's not necessary to the satisfaction of the story, but it sure would add a cool uh, thematic element to the story. I love the evidence that could be complete circumstance, but also is just really fun at the same time. You know, the whole able thing, right? Mance being yeah. able, describing Rhaegar yep. above all things, he was yep. able. You know, mm-hmm. um, yep, yeah. The the cloak that Mance and Raider had, Bale, yeah, yeah. at Bale, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the cloak that was red and black that Mance had. You know, I I just think it's really fun. And it's a, it's a wonderful way, I think, to connect the ice and fire elements of the story, uh, you know, as kind of a predecessor to what we're seeing is the connection of ice and fire between Danny and John that's coming. But yes. this is kind of a predecessor to all of that, which is right. a lot of fun, too. And you get this dragon prince up there, perhaps mingling with, you know, um, a former dragon prince blood raven and um yeah i just think there's a lot of fun there so i'm with yeah. you buddy I, I love what you say about the ice and fire sides it's like george is able to give us a fire Rhaegar and an ice Rhaegar. like literally he's like i'm just gonna both of them john gets dad Rhaegar, and then he gets father figure mance Rhaegar, who is also the same exact person as Rhaegar. like if not the same exact person, but described the exact same way. They're both obviously singers, you know, all, all that stuff everybody's aware of. And fu- funny, the first th- words that we get from from Mance is him singing uh, I've Tasted the Dornish Man's Wife, mm-hmm. which is funny because it feels like that's another Rhaegar ca- call out because his, his wife, wife was, was Elia Martell. Uh, I love the cloak part. Mance is one of these characters because he really is, seems like a you know, if you're talking about worthy kings, Mance actually does seem like this guy's got some good ideas, right? And the cloak thing, you know, the reason he leaves the watch is because he can't keep the cloak when the woman who, who saved him and stitched him up and stitched his cloak 
used one of her most valuable possessions mm-hmm. to stitch his cloak up. A, a, a truly an act of kindness. This is something that is valuable to me. I'm going to use it to fix something of yours and give it to you. Like, and Mance stood for that. The, the fact that that was what drove him is something that tells you a lot about who that person is that he Some said, I, you know, honor this was the breaking real point. realism yeah. to him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. just a interesting character for that point. And as we learn more about Rhaegar, we're going to have more things. We look at Mance and, and can parallel and, and connect. Right. And the fact they both connect with John and the Bale story connects with John being the prince that was promised and being the blue winter rose. And then that blue winter rose showing up in Danny's dreams and, and when she's in the house of the undying, I mean, sure. it's it's just so it's so complex and well done. Uh, it just always has impressed me. Um, it would be great if Mance actually rips off the mask at the end. It's ha ha, it was me, Rhaegar. It's me. No, so Rhaegar is the elder brother. Is the actual actually what it is. <laughs> so I I don't I don't really actually have a ton of interest in like trying to expose the theory or like disprove or anything. I, I actually. I don't, I don't necessarily believe it, but I, I actually would like it to be true. It's one of those ones that feels feels good. It feels to me like it fits thematically, and I feel like where the story could go could make it very interesting if if Mance dies while he's down there. Yes. And then John finds out. Very interesting. Or Mance returns, and Mance has been hiding this all along. Very interesting. Mance doesn't know. That's the, the biggest hole I always find. Like, doesn't he know who John is? Like, wouldn't he know that this is his... Mm-hmm kid and hasn't yeah. done anything about it um and, and why would he sit on that information for so long um when when really his whole goal the song of ice and fire was to prep someone to be ready for this like and yet he's just kind of like sitting on the information yeah. weirdly so there's those are my my weird things but i actually want it kind of to be true even though i don't necessarily not necessarily convinced by the evidence yeah if he's communing with blood raven that's how i've always kind of explained it as if he is able to commune with blood raven up there beyond the wall in some way and yep. blood raven's able to kind of give him a perspective that's helping him be patient then yeah now's not the time you're gonna that. get another chance right yeah right. you won't go blood south Raven's like that stark like and die it. before you get a chance right yeah <laughs> yeah that makes sense unless it's fun to just scream mance Rhaegar on twitter that's true that's the main and then video. just wait yeah. yeah, yeah. Watch yeah. like blood in the water for sharks. <laughs> it's it's yeah. definitely chum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite minor family. Quick one. Uh, I wasn't ready for this question. Um, I'll say House Valerion. They're very interesting in Fire and Blood, and technically it's a minor family within the main context of the main story, at least. Right. Long a little, a little weird. Yes. How- yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. House Long Orders. Yeah. A little weird how how ignored they are to me. Same yeah. same with in the, the high towers. Yeah. Yes, same with the high towers. Mm-hmm. Just just off in the corner doing nothing, kind of. It's strange their wealth left. Like it's yes. very, it's strange they became so so minor, exuberantly yeah. wealthy, and that it's gone already. Yeah, somebody is not handling money well in House Valerion after uh, the Sea Snake right. left. Yeah. And also just prestige, right? I mean, the Targaryens have this that too. legendary status about them, and the Valerians had that too in Fire and Blood in those earlier days. It'll be interesting when we get Fire and Blood too to see kind of how that happened. I hope. Right, because there were tons of Valerian dragon riders. Like yeah. these guys, you know, these people rode dragons too. Yeah, and they're not like looked at 
because they mentioned the valerians they exist like they are there yeah yeah uh in the main story only one yeah, nobody's like only one that is mentioned i think oh yeah, if i'm right yeah. and then you've got the uh not the craig halls the Celticars. yes also but they're not they were not never nearly as never nearly as prestigious as yeah. us valerian um oh one quick coreless valerian thing it's crazy the first coreless valerian was the first lord commander of king aegon's uh king's guard uh-huh. coreless valerian and he's not even the most famous coreless valerian yeah. like that poor guy you know yeah how do you feel yeah. We are what they grow beyond, isn't that what Yoda says? Yes. Mm. Great. Yeah. Anyway, it just popped in my head. Nobody grew beyond Yoda, though. Maybe Luke did. That's what you think. Last Jedi. I don't know. Grogu. It's pretty impressive. Mm. Uh, we'll see what happens with Grogu, I guess. <laughs> or we won't. Wouldn't it be amazing if, yeah, like Luke took Grogu and we don't see him anymore? And we just follow the Mandalorian. Wouldn't that be amazing? Then, then we get this sinister tale of, <laughs> of what Grogu Luke did to Grogu. Yeah. Well, <laughs> be amazing. I just meant like from a marketing perspective. I see. Yeah, with all yeah, that they've yeah. built around Grogu, it'd be hilarious if he just disappeared and they just followed the Mandalorian around and we didn't see Grogu anymore. <laughs> and like how furious people would be in the people bubble. would just die. Didn't you watch Clone Wars? You, you know what happens to, right? Like, you know what happens at the temple, right? Yeah, that, that's what happens. That's what happens I know people. Sure, yeah. maybe, or just like every other Jedi, he got secreted away. No, because that that um, yeah, that already happened. Right. Um. Anyways. Yes. Uh. Okay. What? Uh. We kind of already answered this one about why you keep coming back to it. Right. Whose POV are you most excited to get in wings? Uh. Well, Jamie, unfortunately, is the one that immediately comes to mind because and I answered this. Somebody asked me this the other day, um, and it's because Jamie's story will immediately be interesting and wins. Mm. A lot of people's will, I guess. There's a lot of big battles about to happen. But like the next time we see Jamie, it will be a Lady Stoneheart chapter, yeah. which is like shit will be going down immediately. That's big true. shit to his arc will be going down immediately. With Jamie, so I'm like, I know when I turn the page with Jamie, I'm like, Lady Stoneheart's gonna be in this chapter. That's a big deal. So that's why I say Jamie and Brienne will be there, and it's connecting that back. It's a huge thing that's about to happen for for Jamie. Now that's also true. Like I know John just died. What could happen? With Danny no, is I gonna be coming. So there are a lot, the Battle of Fire, the Battle yeah. of Ice. I, there's a lot of things, but Jamie is my answer for, for that. One. I like the answer though. It's a very character driven answer, right? It's I want to know what happens to Jamie. Right. Not like I don't know what yeah. happens with these threads. With the it's... battle of ice. Yeah, right. it's just like, right. yeah, right. And the Jamie thing is like going to happen now immediately like, without much build up. Yeah. There's yeah. still no build right. up. Yeah, it'll be like then all of a sudden he's in front of Catelyn Stark again. Yeah, and well, yeah, they leave together at the end of Jamie Jamie's only chapter in in Dance, Dance yeah. and they're like, but they people have like he's not going to rob us of that traveling conversation with he and Brienne, right? We're going to get at least a travel chapter, no? We might. They're, it's possible. But they're close. They're like within a day's ride. I, like, yeah, I think we're going to get them talking and then he sees Lady Stoneheart and we get the description and then oh, end maybe. chapter. And then the That's next, possible. the second one will be like... That's possible. He can't, he can't stone the fan base on a Jamie Brienne conversation after all this time. That's true. He's got to give us one. Yeah. You don't right? even know the That's depths true. this man can see. <laughs> Just to leave us in utter misery. <laughs> it's fair. It's he fair. killed Eddard Stark. 
He killed mm. him. That was mean. Uh, like selfless that. question I like to ask these once in a while. Rickon, tell me why he lives. I saw you put this in here. I don't have particularly strong feelings Fine. about Rickon. If I was question. trying to... I, no, I have an answer. I have you an answer for you. You and everyone Scott. but Scat. <laughs> if I'm telling you why Rickon lives, it's because he's with Davos. And there we go. That's a good pretty answer. good person to be with. I don't know what endgame rickon really serves because like him being there is like it would like look i hope the kid's fine like i wish no ill will upon him i hope he comes back but it seems like if he comes back it's just kind of be like he's four eh, yeah. and rickon's here yeah. that's isn't that nice yeah, right. but but then that's it you know like and maybe maybe george does does more with it um obviously the plan is for him to be like sort of involved with this like he's at Ard stark's son and we could use his yeah. claim like that's going to be used but that makes me worried then because children being used yeah. politically does not end well for children not usually <laughs> not 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 usually well i'm not even sure that uh children with davos ends well either um <laughs> actually that's a good point doesn't he didn't he lose like four of them in one fell swoop at seven? the blackwater like yeah. five out of seven are dead or good. four out of seven are dead yeah. but he's gonna feel really bad about it <laughs> He will that's always. Mean. That's mean of me. I'm sorry. His, his guilt Davos. rivals rivals Lannister guilt. I think. Yeah. I love Davos. Davos would have been another chapter I would have picked to cover. Oh, like, oh, good call. Davos. I don't think we've done. Oh no, we did do the wolf step. We one. did chase. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like our second meet yeah. the Calisar episode. Yeah. Shall we move on to part three? Yes, please. Let's do it. A woman stood before Jamie. It was raining again. He thought when he saw how wet she was obligatory sex oh, joke gosh. <laughs> the water was trickling down her cloak to puddle round her feet how did she get here jamie had not heard her enter she was dressed as a tavern wench a hood concealed her face but he could see the candles dance in the green pools of her eyes and when she moved he knew her seriously what hour is it the hour of the wolf his sister lowered her hood the drowned wolf perhaps she smiled for him, so sweetly. She asks Jamie if he remembers the first time she came to him dressed like this. Yeah, he does. He recognizes her attempt to manipulate him, though. And what follows is a, a really amazing scene between the two siblings. Cersei tells Jamie that she's afraid. Sir Kevin knows the truth of Tommen's lineage. She asks Jamie to be her hand. Upon his refusal, she asks, what of their son, Tommen? Tommen is no son of mine. No more than Joffrey was. His voice was hard. You made them Roberts, too. You swore that you would always love me. It's not loving to make me beg. Jamie could smell her fear, even through the rank stench of the corpse. He wanted to comfort her, to console her, but not here. Not in front of the gods and father. I need you. I need my other half. Rain pattered against the windows. You are me. I am you. I need you with me, in me, please, Jamie, please. Jamie replies that he was made for battlefields, not council chambers. Cersei wipes away her tears and tells Jamie that if battlefields he wants, it's battlefields he'll have. I was a fool to ever love you, he said before disappearing into the night. Bye. Uh, morning comes and it's sunny again because Cersei isn't here yet. <laughs> Seriously, this is a total thing in these chapters. The Tyrells are among the first to enter. Marjorie had brought a great bouquet of golden roses. She plucked one of the roses from the bouquet so she could hold it beneath her nose because Lord's 
Lord Tywin's body is not doing great. In fact, the body is so gnarly that when Tommen goes up to pay his respects, he throws up and runs out of the sept. Jamie chases Tommen down and brings the boy outside where the air is fresh, or at least as fresh as it gets in King's Landing. Jamie speaks to the boy King in what is Jamie's only true paternal scene in the entire series to date. He tells him that a man can't bear can, a man can bear almost anything if he must, and that he should go away inside, look without seeing. And then Cersei walks out, and as she does, starts bullying and belittling Tommen, to which Jamie tells her to chill out. Uh, besides, Lord Tyrell is walking over. Please act like we're not the most psychotic family in the world for five minutes. Jamie invites Lord Tyrell to sup with Cersei that very evening, which he accepts. After Lord Tyrell leaves, Cersei sharply questions Jamie as to why she should be having dinner with that great oaf. Jamie tells her that she should ask Lord Tyrell to take Storm's End, which is still currently being held by Stannis' garrison. Yeah, he explains that she needs Tyrell's support, but this plan would rid her of Lord Tyrell and put her in a win-win situation. Either he'll deliver Storm's End, good thing, or he will muck it up and look like a fool. Or worse or better yet die and cersei gives him a lingering look you know she said for a moment you sounded quite like father and then that's the end of the chapter of course is like mm -hmm. you sounded quite like tywin so george had to just end the chapter mm -hmm. by throwing that back in jamie's face that he has to still deal with that right even yes. when it, he says he's not made for council chambers and yep yeah, Jamie's doing his best his best to move beyond Tywin mentally in this chapter. It feels like, right? To kind of try to like yes. leave it behind. He's got the guild, of course, but he's kind of trying to right. like put this away. Put this away while I'm standing right above you. Put mm -hmm. it away. And get yet, it all out. What he yep. what what he gets instead is you're just like him. Ugh. Yep. Gosh, I hadn't really quite thought of it like that. This chapter just ends with because you're right. The chapter is about him kind of trying to feel and move past this, and then the just chapter ends with. Cersei literally telling him that that sounded just like Tywin. You you kind of imagine Jamie going, "Shit, damn it, didn't mean to do that." Right? It's the same thing again, where we're like, he he was doing a good thing, and then he, he wasn't thinking about it, and oh shit, he just ended up doing the same exact thing that his father would do. Yeah, I mean it's the circle, right, over and over again. There, um, there's so much in this section. Where do, do you guys have a spot you want to start with? Um, I, I, what do you think? What do you think Cersei really wants coming to him like this? Because so she, she George is really good at writing Cersei in this way, in this obsequious, yeah. pouty, hurt deer. You know, it's very similar to the scene where she comes to visit Ned in the in the God's yeah. Wood, and she comes dressed as a like way that. that he would he would that Ned would prefer. She knows how to use kind of all these tools and her history and everything with these men to try to manipulate them. Unfortunately, you know, two things. She, she's failed, really, the two times that we've seen this tactic, I think, in play. Yeah. We know she uses it effectively against other people, but when we've seen it, it kind of didn't work for her. But in this case, she's up against an opponent that knows all of these tricks. He's right. seen them a billion times, and he's passed all this bullshit in this chapter, right? Like, he, he's, like we just said, he's trying to move past this. So he, he, even then, he still kind of wants to give in. We hear, we hear him oh, say sure. he wants to. But yeah, but he's kind of he's kind of past it. But what do you think? 
What do you think about that and what Cersei is actually coming to him really for? What does she what does she really want from him? I, I think she actually it's so funny because I, I think she actually is being pretty honest with Jamie here. I think she's scared. Uh because of, of Lord Kevin. Now she's now maybe seeing like somebody of relative import, Kevin Lannister now with Tywin gone, is a quite important person within House Lannister still, even if Cersei wouldn't admit that out loud. I think she's coming to Jamie. come be my hand, protect me, help me protect my children. I think she's honestly wanting that. Now she's trying to manipulate him into it, clearly, which he immediately recognizes. I, I love, from just a description standpoint, how, how George writes her coming to him here. You know, Jamie's been kind of going in and out of consciousness because he's just tired he's just been awake for a long time um and cersei kind of just shows up like this could almost be a dream you know mm. like he says he doesn't hear her enter it almost feels you know, like you have at first yeah yeah almost feels like a dream yeah she he doesn't know he doesn't recognize who she is and i just love that the glit of her green you know green eyes and that he uh, it says she moved and he knew her like then the familiarity strikes you know and it's just a really uh kind of elegantly little written way that Cersei kind of just shows up before him, you know, almost like a temptation, you know, like a vision almost. It's very like well-crafted. Um, and then, you know, to talk about Cersei, because there's actually, I have a strong defense of Cersei. I defend Cersei very strongly because she is clearly written to be, I mean, she's crazy by the time that we're in her head. But again, when you really look at it, you can kind of understand why Cersei doesn't trust, especially the men around her. She has not been given the agency, right? We love that, love that, love that word in Aeswaf coverage, agency, right? She's always been stripped of the agency, despite the fact that she has the confidence to wield it. She wasn't ever given it when she was a child. She was never taught that she should use it, except in manipulative ways. And so the roles that are supposed to protect her her father, her husband, her brother, the men around her. In this antiquated society where that's the deal, nobody has held it up for, for her end. She wasn't married to Rhaegar. Again, in this antiquated society where these are the rules, she was not, her, her father did not deliver on that. Her father did not try to protect her. Her father sold her, sold her off ostensibly to Robert Baratheon, who then also abused her and, and didn't have her back. And now... It's happening again with Jamie, and now it's a lot of her fault because she she's pushing Jamie away. But nobody's ever really had Cersei's back. So when you say like, why doesn't Cersei trust people? You're like, well, nobody has earned Cersei's trust. Like, why would she trust people? And now she's an extreme example, obviously. But I you kind of kind of get it. Nobody has fulfilled their oath to her to protect her. And there's this moment in this chapter, this is where it kind of really strikes that moment where when she realizes Jamie is going to deny her, it says she flinched away, right? You can imagine this happening in her head again, where she's saying, oh no, it's happening again. The man in my life, my, my brother, who I think can protect me, is not going to. Is not going to fulfill their part of the contract. So you kind of see why she doesn't trust people and how that expounds in her head and it's societal right it's the societal problem that westeros has with women so i think cersei represents that beautifully and is sympathetic for that reason quite sympathetic actually yeah i think I th that's 
perhaps the best defense of Cersei if, if one thinks she needs to be defended um, that I've heard. Uh, you're right. No one's no one's ever no one's ever taken care of her or treated her the way the roles are set up that they sh- right. that they should have treated her. Um, she didn't have a mother around to teach her yep. the womanly side of things. She grew up idolizing then the only parent she had, who was frankly like the fact that she wants to be a man, uh, and the fact that the man she's idolizing is Tywin is terrifying. You don't want to be a man. You want to be a despot. You want to be a cruel individual, male or female. And in this society, you're right, it has to be a man. But, you know, she hasn't been given any sort of chance at success, given the example she's looking at. Exactly. Yeah, she's never was never given any pathway to be. And what Cersei clearly does have is the uh, desire to, like... If Cersei were encouraged when she was a child to, like, take control of her life, she would have. Like, she clearly was not somebody who was going to sit there and not grasp that agency if it was handed to her, you know? She tried Instead, to do it even it was, without the encouragement. Yes, exactly. She was constantly doing it. Even if you go back to her uh, hearing the the prophecy, that was her breaking the rules when she yeah. goes out and finds M- Maggie the Frog. And, I mean, you tons of examples from her younger years, uh, Jamie becoming a Kingsguard member. That's her doing it. Like, yeah. honestly, if, if Jim, you can see if Cersei would have been encouraged the right way, instead of constantly having, having it ripped away from her, I can kind of see how you get to the point in her life where now she clear it clearly her mental health is very bad, right? You can tell her mental health health is terrible, but everybody around her kind of pushed her here and she does a terrible job handling it. Like I, it's funny to read Cersei because she's just wild, man. Like in the chapter before this, when she's walking to the sept, like she's describing the people she's seeing and all of the reasons she doesn't trust any one, single one of them. When she meets the high septon, like she's like Tyrion appointed that guy. He probably knows who is she told. And you're like, it must be exhausting to be <laughs> Cersei. Like, and I get, it. so I find Cersei to be one of the more sympathetic characters, maybe even a cautionary tale. And you kind of see where, when, you just strip everybody uh, uh, when you strip everything away from somebody that wants to have control of their life not surprising you end up with somebody like Cersei Lannister to be honest so I think she's fascinating she's a great foil with Jamie, obviously because they're kind of zigzagging in opposite directions but that's great writing because it's compelling you know because then they're to you've got this like it's not Romeo and Juliet. Well, it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet, I guess, of these two characters. But then it's like the story behind Romeo and Juliet. They can't be together. Mm. And I, I don't know where that metaphor metaphor is going. But <laughs> uh, yeah, their relationship, the way it twists and turns throughout their lives and how they hurt each other. And it's just really fascinating uh, writing. Yeah. The, the whole... Really good points. The whole rule with me thing is is pretty weird partially because of what you said about them yeah. going in different directions on yeah. the one hand jamie seems done with the whole thing his sisters the lannisters the rat race the control the power do it for the family all that stuff seems like he's trying to push it away right he wants to go with the white cloak path right in the white book and, and and change his stars if you will but on the other hand he looks her in the face in this chapter and says marry me like let's do this thing together 
Targaryens right. do it. Marry me. Let's we'll, ch we'll change this whole thing. Like he's ready to throw it away seemingly in an instant if she just agrees to his terms for actually being together in a real marriage relationship where they can they can rule together the quote unquote right way. Mm -hmm. It's heart wrenching to some degree. And then on Cersei's hand, very healthy of Jamie's. Very healthy. It's well, it's healthy for him to say if we I I would re-enter this relationship if we could be together for real. He's right. like these are the conditions in which I could have a relationship with. That's healthy to draw your line. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. I, in, I think in it's, that sense. Yeah. I, I guess I just meant it's it's unhealthy because he thinks he's grown away That's from true. some of the bad stuff in that family. And then he's just willing like an almost like an addict to just jump right Actually, back into point. it. But yeah. but I think it, I see your point too. On Cersei's hand, also it's weird. She's willing to risk so much to get this power for herself, right? In the guise of doing it for her children or whatever. But now that she can be head of the family and like make the decisions and like have the cock, you know, like she's always talking about and do it, he's making this play like, fine, let's do it. Like, let's do it our way. And she's like, no, 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 it's too scary. And it's it's just interesting how they're, she's asking for all this. He's like, no, one more, one further. And she's like, no, no, no. Um, he says of her in the chapter when they're in the sept over Joffrey's body, he thinks to himself, she's never come to me. She's mm. always waited, letting me come to her. Mm. She gives, but I must ask. And Here she is begging. Yeah. He's, he's starting since Jamie comes back to King's Landing, this becomes apparent to him like, wait, this, this isn't right. Why am I always the one that has to do everything? And so you start to see these seeds of like distrust and everything. It's, it's starting to come forth here. Like I, I'm not being treated the way I'm supposed to be treated. I never, and, mm. and what he's not acknowledging is that he doesn't treat her great either. Mm. Um, but now, like you said, Sked, here she comes to him for the first time um, begging for something. And so I think his thing about marrying me is him just throwing out a test. I don't know how sincere mm. that is. I think it's him going, okay, are you, she's coming to me. She's actually come to me this time. Let's see how serious she is. Marry me. Right. I was, uh, one of the movies I watched on the, long 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 journeys <laughs> it was so long you guys um we had a 12-hour layover at the sao paulo airport oh. it was it was long i love layovers um i actually do too but that is a long one 12 yeah. hours 12 i don't hours have layovers yeah, right. anymore yeah. um give me three or four i can uh, anyway uh i watched uh, bohemian rhapsody again mm. about queen um, have you guys seen Scad? You have, of course. Yeah, I own it. I have, I have not, I have seen not it? seen it. Okay, it's good. It's fine. Um, it's not. It's not like. Yeah, I agree. It's yeah, fine. it's fine. But uh, it, it details Freddie Mercury's relationship with a woman named Mary, right, Scad? Um, who he, you know, early on in his, maybe it was even before Queen. Yeah, it was before Queen. I think maybe it, it or was, right around yeah, the time, like during the forming. I think if I remember. Um, he had this relationship with this woman named Mary. They got engaged at one point to be married. Um, and then, you know, as he came out to her that he was, he says in the film, he says, I think I'm bisexual. 
and she says, no, you're gay. And I've known it for a long time and everything. Um, and she says, I don't want to be the, but per she he says, I don't, I don't, I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to lose you. And she says, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to be the, she says something like, I don't deserve to be the butt person. Like, I love you, but I'm gay, you know? Um, mm -hmm. She's like, I deserve more than, I feel like I deserve more than that. But then throughout the film, at least, I don't know how it was in real life. I don't know Freddie Mercury's life that well. But throughout the film, at least, she continues to kind of be at his beck and call. And he like moves her out to live close to him so that he can call her whenever she wants and she can come over and kind of be his confidant. But you see, at least in the film, very little of anything Freddie Mercury does for her, like to meet her needs. It's all about what can you do for me, Mary? I need you to come over right now. Oh, you're too tired. No, you're not too tired. Come over. I need you. And um, she, to her credit, she does uh, in a lot of the film. And that's, where Jamie is and he's starting to feel like that person who is always just waiting for her to call and then he just goes and he starts to get to that point where he's like no I don't deserve this I don't deserve to be that person anymore and so I do think he is testing her a little bit he'll keep calling yeah. me he'll keep calling me I'll go I'll go I'll go I'll go I'll go I'll go, I'll go. I'll go. he'll keep calling <laughs> It's a good comparison. It is, as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what this is like, for sure. And and you also said, you know, to her credit, she goes. I think society's come a long way on what, what Kyle said before about drawing boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, I think to Jamie's credit, maybe this is a test balloon. He's not going to keep going. He's not mm -hmm. going to just keep doing this. He's drawn a boundary and he's recognized yeah. a direction he needs to take to grow himself. And he's not going to keep answering the phone and getting in the car. Uh, you know, like when Ferris calls and, and yeah, I love the Cameron comparisons even better. Right. Mm, uh, it's not better, but it, I love it. One. I love it. I love it. And the, she actually does make, draw that boundary eventually when she introduces uh, Freddie to her fiance who later becomes her husband and is very much like, this is my husband now, Freddie, like, boom. It, and he's just, and, he's just kind of like a regular, regular Joe, regular right? dude. And yeah. Freddie does not like him. Yeah. <laughs> at first at least yeah. in the again in the film that's all yeah. i know people are right. all our freddie mercury super fans here i know what i saw in the movie i that's I, all you got yep <laughs> good comparison i love it yeah it's good what about um we've kind of talked about this tom and scene mm, scene here mm -hmm. but I get this little moment with jamie given given young tom and some advice tells him to, to a man can bear anything if he must, which is like almost good advice. I sort it's intended to be good advice. Yeah, and uh, and then go away inside, which is not good advice. This sure. is kind of like the problem again. Intended to be good advice, but I think if you really look at that go away inside thing, it's just tied back to all those same problems. Like, okay, go away inside and let it fester for seventeen years, and then tell Tyrion that the truth about Taisha and look what happens. Right. So like, yeah, there's one thing for sure is that Jamie did not see frozen. <laughs> Conceal. Right. Yeah. Don't reveal. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's all Jamie knows. Yes. Right. The cycle continues, right? Like 
that yes. when, when he thinks this is good advice, when, he's yeah, like, this is, this is the best this thing I can teach you. him. I'm being dad here. I'm yeah, being dad. Yes. This is, this is me being a better father than I've ever been because the cycle continues. Toxic max, cycle masculinity continues. is taught right. and then it's retaught and it's retaught through the generations yeah. and you got to break it somehow. Right. And what I, and Cersei, go ahead, man. I was going to say what I like about this, this moment is how naturally he does it. Yeah. He, he doesn't have that thought of Tommen's running away. I better go be dad. It, it's in his head. We've spent the whole chapter mm-hmm. in his head, and all we get is immediately he gives his sword to Kettleblack or whoever, almost like kind of a ceremonially passing the sword over. Like, you don't bug me anymore, Kettle. No, I don't know uh, because he continues to bug him. But I think um, it was it was Balon, wasn't it? Maybe. Oh, it might have been Balon Swan. I, no, I think it was a Kettleblack. I'm looking. Keep going. Keep going with your pause. Fine. He gives the sword, and he immediately goes after Tommen without thinking about it. Right. And so. That's what I like about that. Was the advice good? No, it was not good. Was the intention there? Yes. And that natural inclination to do it is quite telling. Um, yes. To where he... He reacts to help somebody. He's like, yeah. I need to go help him. Right. And he's trying to be kind. And he is being kind. I will say, he is being kind. The advice isn't great, but he's trying to be kind, which is all you can kind of do in life sometimes. <laughs> if you're trying to be kind, that's a good thing. But yeah, it's the cycle continuing with how Lannisters treat one another. Sorry, Barath- Baratheons treat, you know, whatever. Uh, but then it continues when Cersei comes out too, because now Cer- Cersei comes out and starts belittling and and putting down oh, and breaks my heart. just beating Tom and into the ground. It breaks my heart. And it's like you were doing the exact same, same thing. thing that got you guys in this mess. Tywin did to you. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. And the whole time she's thinking, why can't he be more like Joffrey? Right. Why yeah. can't he be? Yep. Joffrey yeah. was an animal. Yeah. Joffrey is also why we're in this mess. So, so Jamie leaves his post, abandons his own father to go be one. Mm-hmm. Right. Then yeah. repeats the cycle of like, I'm going to leave my dad behind who was a dick and I'm going to go be a dad and be just like my dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, to him. But, but you're right though, Matt. I don't want to leave behind the instinct. The instinct was right. The intent right. was right. He wanted to do the right thing. The message was bad because it's all he knows, maybe. And I actually wrote down in my notes, Jamie is always best when acting on instinct. And then I was like, wait a minute. Hmm. No, that's not true. He pushes a, ch- a child out a window on instinct. Like he, right. he it's, yeah. it's, he's really just, it's hit and miss with him, right? Yeah. Which is. Even in this chapter. That's so mad. He Matt chose factor. not to. It's human. <laughs> yeah. Paragraphs before he, Cersei asks him. She says, "What if Tom?" Because he says, "Let's get married." And Cersei's like, "We can't do that because Tommen would be a, immediately like stripped from his throne." And he's like, "I don't give a fuck about Tommen." Like, <laughs> so <laughs> he says, "He says he's no son of mine," which is exactly what, what Tywin, Tywin just said about said him. To yeah, him. Yeah. Right. Ah, what, actions are stone, I guess. Which he does then choose to be, which is great. But it's like you're right; it's totally hit and miss. It's just like. He's like punching in the dark, just and sometimes he hits and sometimes he misses. Yeah. By the way, that was the line he gave when when Cersei flinched. He's no son of mine. You made them Roberts too. And oh, that's true. And we've talked about Cersei's apparent a lot, and um, I don't know whether it's the I'm that he's no son of mine, or whether it's the throwing Robert in her face that made her flinch. I don't know. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, a bit yeah. of both. Mm. 
Yeah, a bit of both. When we had Kevin Lannister railing on her parenting in the previous mm-hmm. chapter. Yes. Um, well, there's an, another man who's ostensibly supposed to protect her who doesn't openly threatened her essentially i mean yeah and mind you cersei was sort of asking i I don't know that's a whole nother discussion but just again you know you can see why cersei trusts people Mm -hmm. (laughs) this one this turned into a cersei defense podcast (laughs) i'm down man we've got first time uh (laughs) another little jamie is a dad moment that struck me as funny is where cersei's like um you gotta go get back in the the carriage thing to be carried back to the city or whatever. And Tommen objects, and he's like, "Uncle Jamie said I could ride my horse and throw pennies to the small folk." And I'm like, "Isn't that such a mom and dad like <laughs> yeah. thing?" Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. Uh, Apollo thirteen. I was just watching Apollo thirteen, and the jim lovell's daughter is coming out in her halloween costume and the mom's like you can absolutely cannot wear that costume out it was like slightly skimpy it wasn't even that bad and then jim lovell the astronaut comes home he gets home from work and the daughter's like dad can i wear this out and he's like sure you look fine and (laughs) (laughs) and the mom looks at him of course like ah you you know what though that's so jamie being a dad yeah sure go ahead you can ride your horse to town throw pennies that's fine except in this case, he's an uncle. I think uncles win those battles more than husbands do. Oh, easily. Yeah. The cool uncle. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, right. cool. Go go throw pennies with your cool uncle. Mm-hmm. If dad suggests that, no fucking way. Yep. But if cool uncle yeah. wants to take you, that's all right. It's not uncle's department. Telling the boss on him doesn't matter. That that boss doesn't have <laughs> the same jurisdiction over him. You know, like... Especially if the uncle is the sibling of the wife right oh yeah, like, yeah. yes yeah. especially right. he's like i have i have certain clearances yeah. i'm right. i can make a couple calls yeah for sure yep. um jamie i meant to point this out out earlier just a small thing but uh jamie mentions earlier in the chapter how cersei blames sir illin i think more than anybody it says something to that to that effect yeah um because he's in charge of the dungeons i suppose and Jamie ends up taking Ilan with him, obvious. You, you guys talked about this in your episode with um, Lindsay, I think. Uh, Jamie kind of recognizes, like, this would be a good time for you to get out of town, Ilan. Cersei is <laughs> not yeah. in a great place, yeah. and she blames you. Yeah. And also, I need a training partner who can't tell anybody about me training, so come on, let's go. And also, they go to his room, and it's terrible, and it's, it gives him... It's a kind thing Jamie does, is the point I'm trying to make. To get mm. Illin out of town, mm-hmm. Illin could have been in some trouble because who was going to protect Illin? Like Cersei could have been pissed off one night and chosen that it, it's time to enact her vengeance on Illin, who we just heard that she blames maybe more than anybody. So just a small thing. Well, like just that. to jump on your small thing real quick, that's also a that's not an instinct, immediate action thing. That's a who can yeah. I who can I take with me, and and even maybe if we give them the benefit of the doubt, who can I help here? Yeah, who would yeah. like to get it's a out? Good mix. Yeah. She's she's yeah. pissed at Ellen. Yeah. Mm. Mm. There's even a slight little comparison. I wrote it down as a note, but I wasn't even going to bring it up to you. Said it, so I'll say it now. As he waited, it says of Jamie in Varys's chamber, he had sharpened his dagger with one hand, taking a queer comfort from the scrape, scrape, scrape of steel on stone. And in that very next one that you're referring to about Ilan, 
it talked about how much he would just like sharpen his stuff right Mm -hmm. just like constantly sharpening his blade and his blade was the only like well-maintained thing in his quarters and yeah and i made that little connection between him and ellen there yeah barristan does that too in his everywhere is it the (laughs) well yeah so it's a warrior thing an area warrior thing yeah yeah an area does it yeah Harrison does it right before he's going to take down his dar um, or question his mm-hmm. dar and then take him down. And it's just a beautiful, I love that written scene. It's like raining outside and he's thinking about his past. I actually like the Barrison chapters, but that's way the F off, off topic. Um, <laughs> let's what, what else from this chapter? Any, anything else out to you guys? I have little things. I mean, we, we haven't really talked yeah. yet about, about the, the plot of, of uh, getting, sending Tyrell to to dinner and yeah. getting him to go attack Storm's End. I I, I guess it's just interesting that, um, you know, we, we kind of said already, well, he's been trying to push past this and and move away from his, his dad and kind of, you know, bury him, if you will. But yet here he is, you know, he, he just said he'd be no good in the small council, and yet here he is doing this and showing that he'd actually probably be pretty capable doing this. Yeah. And, this is a good little plan he has. Yeah, and he's just told her he's not going to do it, and yet here he throws her this bone of here's some strategy, just take it and run. And then in the next chapter, he's still like, "Nope, I'm not helping you." Mm-hmm. But he's clearly got major conflict and wants to help. Like he's doing it right. Yeah, right. Yeah, but then immediately he he's trying to move past it, and then right at the end of the chapter, the first chance that he actually gets, he's like, "Here's what you should do." Yeah, and it's. From their per- perspective, it's a good idea. It's mean, but um, I wonder if it's foreshadowing too, because Storm's End early-ish on in wins figures to be a pretty big spot where whatever's going to happen with Aegon mm-hmm. and everything happening there, uh, we're probably going to see. Mace will likely be there, I would assume, or, or on their way. We're probably going to see the fruits of this. Like, we're going to see the Tyrell army coming down this way. It's obviously a big plot point. So I wonder if they actually do choose to storm the gates. That's the part that I wonder if is foreshadowing. They kind of have this little discussion about him storming the gates and potentially dying. And, and that could make sense with Mace, too, because last time he was kind of called a coward because they didn't storm the gates. I don't totally remember that off the top of my head at this hour, but... Anyway, I could see it happening, which would be really a bad, quite a bad idea. Storm, Storm's End, mm-hmm. what it's called, you know, like. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, I, we definitely don't know how. We, we know Aegon is, gets in, right? Um, or we, yeah. Apparently. Apparently. Some, somehow. Yeah. Somehow. Subterfuge or something, I think they say. Seems like storming them is a By guile. He says by guile. That's what he says. Yeah. Storming the gate, we know, we know that... Um, they have that whole legion of archers uh, with Aegon that are super effective. Uh, sounds like automatic death if you storm storms end to me. Yeah, I agree. Mace may be in some trouble himself. Tyrells in general, I think, are in trouble. Everybody's in. Everybody's in trouble. Everybody's in trouble. It's a feast for crows out there. Nobody's not in trouble really currently at at this point. So yeah. Don't worry. Fair point. Willis will take the day. <laughs> yes. The high towers are not in trouble. They're doing great. But I'm just saying. Euron's about to uh, come. Oh, yeah. That's true. 
<laughs> Again, the only one in the fandom that thinks they're going to win that fight. Be interesting. I think Euron climbs the high tower and sounds the horn of winter. So I guess I super don't think they're going to win doubt. that fight. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Who, who knows? What do I know? You know. Well, this conversation's been had. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so shall we? Shall we end the? Do we have anything else? Shall we end? The, shall no. we end the episode? No, only to say this was a blast, Denty. Yeah. Oh yeah, this was super you fun. Brought, Thanks for, for having you me. You brought guys. the content hard, man. You did a good you did a great job. For real. Yep. Well, I appreciate that. It was super crazy fun. It was ever a lot since, of fun. Ever since we met in the doorway of Oh dude, that was yeah, crazy. The hotel. I can't even say Con. that. Yeah, I about run run you guys over just about coming into the coming into Ice and Fire Con and was like kinda like, Oh my god, hey, what's up guys? Like yeah. you know. And very, and after and afterwards, so I don't pleasant. know. I don't know if we've ever told you that. Afterward, we're we're walking out. We're like, that was Kyle, right? Because <laughs> like, yeah. we never met. We're like, it wasn't yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Confirming. And then we just uh, hung. Right. And we just yeah. hung. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. great episode. All right. Yep. So uh, we each get a sign off. Would you like to lead us off, Kyle? Sure. For my sign off, I'll just. I'll go with uh, Jimmy Valvano again. Just always remember, spend some time every day, laugh, spend some time in your thoughts, and let your emotions move you to tears. Very good. Very good. This is Matt signing off. Um, Where Jamie's at with House Lannister is similar to Billy Joel's song, Moving Out. It seems such a waste of time if that's what it's all about. Mama, if that's moving up, then I'm moving out. I similarly have a song lyric about Jamie and his relationship with Cersei. Uh, this is from Art Garfunkel in his album Breakaway, which is uh, it's a bit of a deep cut. Not a lot of people know this one, but I highly recommend it if you're feeling introspective or uh, sitting in the rain and listening to music by yourself. I love it. It's an album my dad turned me on to. Uh, the lyric is, they say there's no use running after something you'll never get. But my heart says, don't say no. Because Jamie seems to always leave that door open for her. Yes, he does. All right. Good night, everybody. everybody. Yep. Night, Calzar. Well, yeah, I'm ready to go. Then I am going to go pee right now, and then I'll be ready. Sure. Mm. But sounds good. Go for it. That's going to end up in the in the outtakes at the end of the yep, episode. For we sure. definitely very well very well just got our first outtake. Excellent. Yep. Perfect. That was wonderful. Okay, be right back. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm such a crier myself. One of my favorite like sayings of all times from his speeches is, is the late great Jimmy Valvano in 1993 when he was accepting the Arthur Ashe uh, Courage Award, where he said three things in your life you should do every day. Go watch the full speech to, oh, to hear the full no. thing because it's one of the greatest speeches in sports yeah, history. I lost him too. Uh, oh, you just should laugh. It was getting good. Spend yeah, time in thought. Pulling out Jimmy V. You should have your emotions move you to tears. <laughs> one of the greatest sayings in sports history. So this Dent thing with Tywin. Come back. Dent, come back. Oh. There you are. I'm back. Okay. You're back. It's all good. I finished was... up my Jimmy Valvano oh. spiel. <laughs> yes. Check one, check one. I can hear you now. I think you're good. Good? I think so. Um, 
we lost you right when you were about to say what Jimmy V said. I finished the Jimmy Valvano spiel on my, it's recorded, so it's fine. Oh, but I, we want to respond to it. Okay, I'll just go back and say the Jimmy yeah, Valvano thing. Go back it's fine. It. Yeah. Okay, all right. One of the first things I was going to say, I had this written in the doc. I put Kelly Thompson, because my uh, brother-in-law is a huge Marvel fan. I was actually talking to him tonight about your sister. Oh, yeah. Because I was like, I know Kelly. I was like, Kelly Thompson, she's writing the, I saw you put the Spider-Man in. Like She's writing the new Spider-Man. And he was like, no way. Uh, and I don't know where I was, what I was saying with that. But Things um, that you're proud of is where say, you were at. I, I was going to say it was one of the things I was proud of, but then you put it in the doc later and I didn't. Oh. Um, <laughs>